The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. to me the entire time as we're waiting to get the fucking hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another edition of rediscovering the indies it is a independent wrestling history podcast right here on the bicpp radio network i am chris gullo joined alongside hey that's jonathan ash (laughs) that's jonathan ash there i was waiting for the intro uh, well, we're you know, we're a little lighthearted today. We're gonna have a lot of fun. First off, uh, I want to thank everyone who listened to the NWA World Heavyweight Title uh, History episode from 1994 to 2002. Uh, we got a lot of positive feedback on that, and. Um, Found out some cooler stuff after the fact. So thank you for all listening. I hope you guys continue this journey with us. I know we had a lot of NWA fans very interested in that. Well, I hope you guys stay with us uh, as we're going to talk about some really fun stuff as this goes on. Uh, Social media is all up. Uh, You can uh, follow us on Twitter at RTA pod. Instagram is rediscovering the Indies and the Facebook uh, page is facebook.com backslash rediscovering the Indies. So you can get all the info there Uh, and we're going to start posting some more like a non-show like stuff too just cool like stuff that we find along the way when we're doing research or just finding cool stuff so um but uh today's episode is one that's very very special and dear to my heart and yours ashes and it's uh we're both from the buffalo new york area and this episode is heavily based in that area and that is the ballpark brawl events they ran from 2003 to 2007 they were independent wrestling super shows. You had former name, WB names, you had legends, you had super indie guys, and you had local talent. So really, everything put together. Um, and some of these names became huge stars in the business. And some of these names you didn't really hear of. Some of these guys changed their gimmicks. It's going to be a lot of fun stuff as we dive into that. And I, myself attended every single one except for the one in Rochester, but you attended every single one of them. Yes, I did. Uh, most of them as a member of either media or as ring crew. Uh, a few of them, the early, the early two uh, bought tickets as fan, as a fan. Um, but I have a better understanding and an idea of like more backstage stuff uh, going forward with that. Yeah, so this is, if you listen to the first episode, it was a lot of stuff from The Observer and kind of read off stuff from Dave, and uh, we had a lot of, you know, material like that. This is going to be us kind of reading off the cards, what was supposed to happen, what did happen, and little stories and tidbits that we know. I know um, Ash has a lot of stuff uh, from be- being a part of the shows. A lot of stuff that I really can't say. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff you can say. Yeah. But uh, I, I attend, as a fan, I have some fun stories. Uh, that I can't wait. So like I said, this, this is going to be a really fun episode. I wanted time it wise, you know, baseball playoffs are starting. So, uh, this kind of goes two and two here and, uh, wrestling and baseball has a huge history and kind of before we go into the first ballpark brawl, what is amazing about this event 
while I was doing my research is that in the Buffalo, New York area, you didn't get a lot of these indie super spot shows. Um, I'm, I know I found one. Uh, it was like new dimension wrestling and Eastern States wrestling. I found one uh, that was in the Hamburg fairgrounds. And that was like, I think 97, right? It was 90. I can't remember. I'll, 98, 98. That's what it, it was. was. It was a late nineties. The one with iron Sheik and, and, and uh, roadblock and yeah. Chip Stetson. Yep. Local, uh, local Albany worker. Chip Stetson uh, worked it. I was involved in it. I know uh killer Conf, my trainer was involved in it. Uh, as a rookie, just helping out. So there, we did come upon that. And, but other than that, I don't, I mean, I was young. I've been in middle school, then into high school. I can't think of any shows like this. I mean, you had your local indies that started popping up in early two thousands that would have their names here and there, but I can't think of anything in the Buffalo, New York area that had, that type of, of oh, look, it's this name, this name, these like fair shows, like, oh, look, wrestling superstars, wrestling legends. Like there wasn't it because all the major companies did well here. Yeah, there really wasn't. There was one uh, like ECW super show that happened at a uh, at a racetrack. The Lancaster Speedway. Yeah, the yep. Lancaster Speedway. In, and that one's weird. Like, summer of 2001 because I think it had like RVD or Dreamer, one of them. And it was like the week before. Uh, ECW returned to WWE TV in 2001 during the Alliance angle, during the invasion. So, like, it was right... It was, like, I think Dreamer and RVD's last uh, indie booking, if I remember right. The oh, rumor behind that show was is that that was a booked ECW show. And then when ECW didn't happen, they still went with it. That's, what, that's the rumor. But I don't know who was behind that or who would have got that together. Because wrestling has not returned since Lancaster Speedway since. So it's very interesting. I mean, I I didn't go to that show, but I I see why. Like I I've been at shows at, at racetracks. It's not a fun experience. It doesn't really it, the atmosphere doesn't really make sense for wrestling. I, but so then we'll kind of segue. That's a nice segue. Baseball stadiums work. They just do. Yeah. They always have and. Um, I mean, people talk legendary like uh, Bruno and Zabisco, and and I know like a lot of the major events that happened in Puerto Rico were in baseball stadiums, and there's so many over time uh, that that had major events. And what I find interesting is is that this ballpark brawl, August twenty fourth, two thousand three, as far as my research could find, because I could tell you that Buffalo News does not have good archives. Sorry, Buffalo News, I'm burying you. <laughs> I bury them for their paywall. Yeah, I could not find. Yeah, I had to pay. I paid two dollars a week to find nothing. <laughs> so, That's but ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I I could not find any history of there ever being wrestling or anything at the baseball stadium at all. Which well, you would think maybe there have been like a. Hey, it's you know wrestling night with this guy. Or, you would think so because that's common in a lot of other places. Uh, over the years of seeing, uh, I would see it either listed in the Observer or listed on like Russell's own or whatever dirt sheet website you go to, or just say like, "Hey, there's in Louisville, Kentucky at the ballpark. Here's re- pro wrestling night with Jimmy Snuka or something like that." Like those happen a lot, but yeah, Buffalo really didn't have those. I don't know if it was the person in charge of the Bison's just didn't see value in wrestling before Chris Hill came in. 
Uh, it's quite odd. Well, it is odd because of how well Buffalo did with the Elia DePaulo events, and WWE always drew well here. ECW was one of the top. ECW, yeah. It was one of the top markets for ECW in the late nineties. So it was surprising that the Bisons wouldn't capitalize on that um, to to get more people, and 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 that is a thing that baseball teams are still tonight as we record this. Uh, because they can't have minor league baseball, Jackson, Tennessee is running a giant show for the 50th anniversary of Jerry Lawler, <laughs> like with all these names. Like it's still to this day, baseball uh, teams are trying to put on wrestling shows. And what changed in 2003 was Chris Hill came along working for the Buffalo Bisons. And Chris Hill was clearly a fan, but he was also just happened to be in marketing and came up with this idea. Um, what I find interesting about the first brawl is it almost looks like a bought show from like a, like a fair spot show. Like, Hey, we're going to have a ladies match or we're going to have a, uh, you know, um, you know, little people wrestling match. I don't know what the appropriate thing to say. Yeah. It was not called that then. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, and. And okay, and then here's your former WCW guys. It just seemed kind of like that. So I I don't know, and I don't know if you have any knowledge on this because I, we really started to get more knowledge in 04. But I, I wonder if there was a third-party booking service that was kind of utilized. And then they also did util, use the ring of Les Thatcher's HWA, which is another odd. You're renting a ring from, from Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, it was quite odd because... It, in August 2003, there was indie wrestling already in the area. BCW was running. ESW just started. Uh, you had stuff in Rochester going on. So there was rings available. And the Canadian border wasn't crazy, so like Neil probably could easily got the ring over. They were, they were starting up at that time, too. They probably could have tried. Yeah. There's, there's always there's restrictions on carrying lumber across the border. Uh, you have to be quarantined. But, like, yeah, like there were still, there were still other options. Um, but looking at this and just like going off of my memory and my history with Bill Barron's, it just seems like it was a heavy Bill Barron's type card. So if they did use yeah. a booking service, more than likely probably went through Barron's because Barron's also was handling a lot of TNA guys at the time. And when you look at the roster, it's mostly TNA people. And at that time, when you would go to the wrestling websites like uh, Raja.com and... Oh, I love Raja. Oh, yeah, OneWrestling.com and SEScoops.com and uh, Gertwick.net. Like, these were the popular ones then. And when you would go to those websites, Bill Barron's would always put his contact information on any time. It was like an article about this. So, showbiz it, at AOL.com yeah, or something it was like, like that. Hey, if you're interested, contact Bill Barron's uh, at, the, at, at this site. Um, so, yeah, looking at it, it was he probably just called Bill Barron's. Who do you got? Yeah, it, 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 it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, as far as I know, nobody nobody local was involved in this show. No, as in like no local promoters, no local not, ring, ring crew, kind of. Uh, a well, friend of the show, Brian Jennings, he's now based in Buffalo, and he's originally from Buffalo, but at this time he was living in Cincinnati, training in HWA, and it was him and a referee from Cincinnati. They were the ring crew, two guys. <laughs> no, I remember I remember being in the crowd for this and just watching like. A ring that I wasn't aware of. Because in 2003, I was about a year in the business. I pretty much had a handle of everyone within the area. And I see a ring. Like, I had no clue who whose ring that was. I had no clue who the ring crew was. I'm just like, yeah, this is odd. that Someone clearly out of state that I didn't know. And 
So with this, so let's go over the advertised card first. The advertised card was going to be AJ Styles versus Kid Cash, both in TNA at the time. Trinity versus Tracy Burks, which I also both in TNA at the time. Uh, Jimmy Snuka versus King Kong Bundy, uh, your typical Legends match at that time period. Uh, Disco Inferno versus Norman Smiley. And Jeff Jarrett versus Raven. So that was the advertised card. Um, there was other people uh, involved in that show that did not wrestle. DDP threw out the first pitch of the Bisons game, which, by the way, the Bisons went against the Rochester Red Wings. <laughs> Thank you, Asher, for finding yeah. that fun fact. Asher does a meat of the research on the show. So, um, But, yeah, so he, DDP threw out the first pitch. And I could be wrong, and I know there's going to be people that correct me if I am. But I think this was the ballpark brawl where, like, in the hallway they had, like, some local promotions have tables, but they also had Legends, and it was uh, Jimmy Valiant and George Animal Steel. And I remember getting a picture with both of them. I remember the names. Uh, I don't think this – I don't think they had the tables for local promotions yet. That wasn't on OSPW did. OSP, okay. Oh. I remember getting the Sons of Thunder flyer. Yeah, you're right. Because, <laughs> so, yes. Oh, because I have a Sons of Thunder – uh, koozie that I got, and I got free tickets because I answered the question. Even though I was in the business, I answered I answered some trivia question, and Chris Hallen gave me tickets to OSPW's first official show. Like I think a week later at Lockport in Lockport at the Lockport Fire Hall. Um, so yeah, I remember they had a table, but they had a table because Chris Hallen was working on the NoDQ radio show on one hundred seven point seven. And he kind of had the in on that. But I don't – I know BCW for a fact didn't because I was with BCW and we didn't have a table. The only one I remember is the Sons of Thunder table. That's I remember the, Sons of Thunder. I remember the, Deacon the, Bishop getting autographs. Yeah, that, that is the only one I do remember. I'll take a picture of the koozie because I still have it. It's still on my book bookshelf because I use it for pens and other things. Sons of Thunder were a local tag team at that time for old school pro wrestling. Uh, one of them is still currently working. They're not uh, really old school. <laughs> um, but moving on. Uh, so we told you what the advertised card was. This is what happened. We'll kind of go down and, and, and we'll try to recall some memories of the matches the most we can and, and fun stories or whatever. So Little Louie defeated King Sleazy. This was the first match in ballpark brawl history. <laughs> Little Louie defeating King Sleazy. And King Sleazy, yes, he was one of the King's Court from Jerry Lawler in Survivor Series and, 94. And, <laughs> and so was Little Louie. Little Louie was uh, Queasy. Oh, King Queasy. yeah, that's right. And my connection to this, this is 2003. I went to my first indie show ever was at the uh, Cattaraugus County Fair in 1996. It was a matinee show. There was an afternoon show and an evening show. And on that show was Lil Louie and King Sleazy, and they did the exact same match. <laughs> so nine years later, <laughs> yeah, let's keep, they're, still, they're still doing it. Let's keep the hits coming. Um, the next match, which was pretty good, it was AJ Styles defeating Kid Cash. I mean, at that time, like, you knew what you were going to get out of that. Yeah. Um, and AJ was really blowing up at that time because I think he may even had – I don't know if he had an NWA title yet. But it was no, I don't, coming. I don't think he was NWA champion at that point. But, yeah, it was definitely coming. Like, he was the golden boy of, of TNA. Uh, Trinity defeated Tracy Brooks, which um, in 2003, I was 15 years old. So imagine I would like that match. <laughs> so, 
Um, but at that time, too, it, the evolution of women's wrestling was starting to happen, and Trinity was great. I think she's very underrated. Oh, I was always a fan of hers. Yeah. Um, and Tracy Brooks was good as well. But uh, And Tracy Brooks at that time was still based in Canada because people forget she's Canadian. Yeah. You know, um, so. Yeah, so for her, it wasn't that far of a drive down. Uh, Jimmy Snuka defeated Nikolai Volkov. So this is our first change. Now, mind you, changes are going to become a theme as the years go on. Um, and I'm disappointed because I really would have wanted to see Snuka and Bundy to see what they could have done. <laughs> I've always, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Bundy just for the fact of watching his opponents try to work around him. So I found a funny story about this. So in the match, Volkov uses like a wrench, like a ring crew <laughs> wrench, right? And he tries to he tries to hit Snuka with it, and like Snuka pr- cuts him off. Apparently, a fan like took his stuck his hand out and like took the wrench and wouldn't give it back to the ring crew. <laughs> He's like, "No, it's a souvenir." Which I find very interesting. Yeah, and, and 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 me and the, the the guy that told me this, we're thinking like, it's not autographed. You have no proof. Like you're yeah. like, this is the wrench Nikolai Volkov used. You don't have a certificate of authenticity with that. <laughs> like why? <laughs> I I just hope that fan like found Volkov like ten years later and brought the wrench to him and get him to sign it. And it was great too. It was like Volkov was doing the the heel and the, the Soviet Union uh, anthem being played in two thousand three. Of course. Uh, and then this is where it gets a little interesting. You had a match between Disco Inferno versus Norman Smiley, which I loved. <laughs> you know, for me, anybody who personally knows me, that that's 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 a Chris Gullo match. Oh, that was uh, your main event. Oh yes. Um, but Disco uh, defeated Norman Smiley, but then it came into, like, Disco was beating down Norman Smiley with a raven. And then, boom, here comes Jeff Jarrett. But then also, here comes Sabu, who was unadvertised, which is a nice surprise for people. And it turned into a tag match where babyface Jeff Jarrett and Sabu, which he may have been he may have been babyface teen at the time. But Jeff Jarrett and Sabu defeated Disco, Inferno, and Raven. This show, it, like I said, it had a very, you know, bought show, fair, like, hey, there's wrestling legends. Like, you'll see as the years go on when we go, when we go through here on this episode, it gets a little more interesting, a little more complex, and, and, and you start to see super indie guys. You start to see local guys. This is pretty much legends and TNA guys. Yeah. And I do. I stand corrected. AJ was the NWA champion. He won it okay. about two months earlier. So he he's this may have been an NWA championship match if I remember. They called it that, but quite possibly. Like the the flyer obviously won't say that because the flyer would have been printed before he won the belt. But it very well could have been. And and that was one thing Ballpark Brawl loved doing was defending other belts. <laughs> like until they got their own, and they still defended other belts. Oh oh they, oh, let's talk. We'll get to the Ring of Honor title defenses, or yes. the claim of the Ring of Honor title defenses. Um, but just to recap Ballpark Pro 1, I mean, I knew this was going to be kind of the shortest one we talked about. Uh, it's a very small card. It, I mean, you knew what you were getting. It, it, you know, you weren't going to see crazy spots. I mean, AJ and Cash had a great match, but uh, it was your typical, like, hey, look, there's, like I said, there's wrestling superstars. Anything was, you want to touch on that? Oh, no, it was a basic show where... Uh, people don't know, like for baseball teams, hockey teams, 
especially minor league teams, they need to come up with some kind of promotion to bring fans in. Whether it's Bobblehead Night, whether it's here's Adam West and the original Batmobile. Like, they need something as a hook. And oftentimes, marketing departments have a budget to follow, a few grand. And wrestling, as we were talking about earlier, wrestling always seemed to be something that other teams have used. And this is clearly what the Bisons did here. They had a small budget, like, all right, let's run a show. And it was quick. Uh Six quick matches after the game, set the ring up, do the matches in and out. I'm sure no more than 90 minutes, if I can remember. It right. was a very, it, it was yeah. a very short show. Yeah, but it's it's a standard run of the mill. Hey, here's wrestling. Like no different than a than a baseball team running fireworks at this point as a as a as a hook to get you to come in. So yeah, I mean that was ballpark brawl one. Um, as I said, like as time goes on, we'll have a little more detail on the other ballpark brawls. Uh, but that was ballpark brawl one in a nutshell. And now uh, here's where it gets fun. We'll start with the ballpark brawl two, feel the screams, and this, and the, the legend advertised for this was Roddy Piper. Now, there this was going to be a tournament for their heavyweight championship, the natural heavyweight championship, um, advertised on the show. Oh, actually, before we get to that, there was a baseball game. Uh, it was the Buffalo Bisons versus the Scren Wilkesbury Red Barons, who are no longer the Red Barons. They're now the Rail Riders. Um, oh, do you uh, do you recall why the belt was called the Natural Heavyweight Title? Yes, because uh, there was a very famous baseball movie called The Natural that was filmed in Buffalo. Um, it was a warm world stadium that they did it, but. Uh, it was filmed in Buffalo, so I remember there being some type of online poll, I think. And I can't remember the other choices, but I remember them talking about it on Monday Night Mayhem and No DQ Radio, if they were still around at that time. I can't remember um, when they they bought out WNSA, but I remember there being, like, an online poll for it. I mean, it's, it's quite possible. Like, it's just my memories fuzzy with anything involved in Monday Night Mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. So, originally advertised, you had Hacksaw Jim Duncan versus Greg Valentine. Uh, I'm more pumped about that. I'm more pumped about some of these matches that didn't happen. I, I, I know. Uh, Greg the, Valentine fits in that same category as Bundy with me, where you, you just can't look away from his matches. <laughs> you just want to get as little effort as possible. Uh, the natural championship, which was Julio De Niro... Derek Wilde, Teddy Hart, and Ron Killings that were all there, but Zach Gowan was supposed to be in. He was not. Conan was supposed to be in. He was not. And then they never said who the mystery uh, person was. A uh, lot of mystery. Yes. A lot of mystery question marks on the uh, on the flyers and in the, the press releases. And then the main event was supposed to be a triple threat with the triple threat: uh, Shane Douglas versus Chris Candino versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, a good amount of that did not happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to touch on Bigelow first because I actually did get an article. So what happened around this time was, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow retired from wrestling very shortly before this ballpark brawl. So this ballpark brawl was scheduled on July 17th, uh, July 12th, uh, he retired from wrestling. Uh, this from and this is this is actually from Toy News International. 
the the fact that some of the articles, they, the websites, is, is very astonishing. But this following press release was sent out today claiming that former ECW world champion and WWF, WCW, and New Japan superstar Bam Bam Bigelow was returning from wrestling. It should be noted that the release is claiming confirmation from secondary and tertiary sources and that Bigelow has been rumored to have retired in the past only to reappear on independent shows later. Uh, Bob, and and the, it, the press release basically, ballpark brawl, participant retires from wrestling organization to announce replacement tomorrow. Uh, it, it is with mixed emotions. This is from the ballpark brawl that the ballpark brawl executive team are announcing that Bam Bam Bigelow will be not appearing on July 17th at the Ballpark Brawl. Through secondary and tertiary sources, the organization has been notified that Bigelow is officially retired from professional wrestling. So Bigelow himself did not tell them he was not showing. Yeah, if I remember right, when I looked, uh, when I looked up the, observ- the Observer, uh, it, was, like, it was mentioned, and according to Meltzer, that the Ballpark Brawl management had contacted Bigelow and asked him to do this as a retirement match, and they didn't get any response. Um, those, Again, I don't have firsthand knowledge. It's coming from the Observer, so blame Dave. Those sources citing chronic injuries and recommendations by health professionals claim that the information claim the information on Friday. Bigelow is no longer accepting bookings and will be not appearing at the previously agreed upon appearances. The team attempted to have the July seventeenth match be an official retirement. You brought it up there. Uh, But those offers were not responded to. We do not think it's our place to announce anyone's retirement. However, we do feel it's very important to keep our fans updated to the changes in the card. We respect this decision and could not possibly understand the difficulty and pressure he's currently operating under. We wish that we could, he could have waited two weeks to retire, but his life and health are too important to risk. We hope for improved health and success in his new life outside of the squared circle, says Ballpark Brawl spokesman Christopher Hill. The organization has been working very diligently over the weekend to secure a suitable replacement, and the result of these negotiations will be made tomorrow morning on ballparkball.com. Um, so, there's that. So, he retires uh, from, the, from the wrestling business on July 12, 2014. Before we get into what actually happens and, and, and what it was replaced with, uh, let's go to Bam Bam Bigelow's cage match. <laughs> Should we? Sure. Uh, we're going to go to Bam Bam Bigelow's cage match, and we're going to pull up. Two th- let's see here. So 2004, he was supposed to, like I said, wrestle on July 17th. He did not. Let's see here. He would then return in November to defeat Johnny Candino for USA Pro and Frank Goodman. So I got to say the retirement lasted shorter, or lasted longer than I thought, but he did return to wrestling. I mean, for Frank Goodman, who wouldn't later. work for Frank Goodman? <laughs> Which USA Pro will be a show. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, it will eventually be a show. As, as when we were talking about these notes, one of the uh, one of the one of my really close friends who now lives in Florida that uh, helped me with some of the ballpark brawl uh, research actually still works for Frank Goodman down there. So there's he's some st- he's still it, it's, he's still as carny as ever. And uh, it's weird enough too. B- Bigelow doesn't wrestle much after this though. He teams up with a guy named Ralph Mosca for a few years. 
Uh, but other than that, there's not much there. But he he did return. I mean, he did come back to wrestling after saying he was retired. Um, I don't know what was going on in his life at the time. I think a triple threat with the triple threat would have been a pretty cool way to to sign off. Yeah. Um, Considering Bigelow had a lot of detractors in the business, had a lot of people that he didn't get along with in the business, I think being in there with two people that he did get along with and two people who were considered his close friends as Candido and Douglas would have made sense. But it's, it's pro wrestling. Like, no one thinks the last match is going to be the last match. And and we're pretty sure that it was Candido that told Chris Hill, hey, uh, I talked to Big. He's not showing up. He's retired. <laughs> he's got all right. that i mean that's what I'm, I'm pretty convinced that's what happened so let's get into the well, oh go ahead well no we have to mention the other change in there too with shane douglas okay yeah i didn't have you have you have notes on this i don't have i don't have specific notes but like i've i remember vaguely and i'm using cage match to match it up so douglas also pulled out of the match because initially i believe the change is going to be candido against douglas douglas pulled out too uh, as I'm looking up, I was I'm very confident in my memory that he he was injured. And looking at cage match, he did a match in May of May of '04, and then nothing again until November of '04. So I think it matches up. If I remember right, he had some kind of arm injury or some surgery. But either way, like he was pulled from the show too. So now the triple threat triple threat match is now just Candido. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and which honestly, I think what we got was was fun, and uh, we'll we'll get into that right now. So uh, the ballpark brawl, feel the screams. This one we'll get, once again was July seventeenth, two thousand four. Uh, at this point, Jimmy Hart was on the indie circuit doing these radio DJ matches that he was doing in kind of like the later years of WCW. And this one featured, it was uh, Jimmy Hart teaming with Johnny Puma, uh, local wrestling uh, legend. He's been around forever in the uh, Western New York scene. Um, they uh, It was a no contest between them and Charisma, which uh, he, he did change his name and his gimmick. But at the time, he was a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> like that would that that was the gimmick. Yeah. And I loved it. Well he is now uh Frank the Tank Burlington. Frank um, the Tank, yep. So he uh he changed a lot if you remember him from back then. I loved charisma. Uh if you can find some old charisma stuff on YouTube. I I, I don't know. I, I, I dug it. Uh and then he teamed up with uh local and I think at that time he was a ninety seven rock. Yeah, he was the Gary Puff Path. Yeah, he was a sports guy. Yeah, he was a sports guy in the morning. And uh I guess we'd be remiss if we don't mention Gary Puff Path's uh, connection to current indie wrestling. Yes, his uh, son is actually uh, the wrestler Puff. Yeah. So Puff is technically a second-generation wrestler. That's what he always likes to say. Um, but, yeah, so uh, it, 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 this match was exactly what you expected. It, it was some comedy, fun, getting the local DJ involved. Um, you know, you, J- Jimmy Hart's great. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he, he thrives on things like this. Uh, then you had the natural heavyweight title tournament. So in the first round, uh, you had Julio De Niro defeating Petey Williams, which uh, at this time, like, like Team Canada was becoming a thing, and the Canadian story was just awesome. Uh, and then uh, Julio De Niro, I think at, uh, he he was somebody that I thought would have done more. 
I mean, he had a decent TNA run, but nothing. Once they got on Fox Sports and and, and Spike TV, he was gone. Um, yeah, he had a he had a little buzz around him at that point. Um, I don't know how well he was liked in the in the business because I've never never really worked with him. Um, but yeah, he was he was getting around. I mean, he's all over indie results in the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. So Julio Fantastico was another name he went under. Uh, in another natural heavyweight title tournament, Abyss uh, defeated Cody Steele, who you fans would now know as Impact Wrestler Cody Diener. Um, and and it, what's fun is through the ballpark brawls, you saw the transformations of Cody Steele and his gimmick and all that. Uh, yeah, there was, as we'll, as we'll see as we go through this, there's a lot of guys, a lot of Southern Ontario guys that got spots that went on to went on to stuff. Like Petey Williams, uh, early in his career, even I think even before TNA. But you had Cody Diener, you had Derek Wilde, who unfortunately uh, ran into some issues at the border and got banned from entering the U.S. But you also had Sean Spears uh, break out on some of these, like be, before his initial WWE deal. So there's a lot of guys that just got their break here first, like Chris Saban too. Yeah, here, like like the, these guys were appearing in like Ring of Honor or TNA, but like this was the first time you could really see them here because they weren't. Yeah. Like I said, no indie companies were bringing in these guys because they were just it was tight budget back then. Yeah, you know, and it was different. You didn't have the social media buzz where oh man, everyone's gonna come for this indie wrestler from Detroit. Like it was not that. Yeah. Um. So Abyss, Abyss too. This is the early like, oh wow, this guy's awesome. And he had Ron the Truth Killings, our Truth, uh, defeating Johnny Swinger. <laughs> yeah, the Swing Man. Who are both very crucial parts of the wrestling companies they work for today. Like, yeah, they're both two of the more entertaining people. Yeah, and Johnny Swinger at this time, this time I believe he was back in Atlanta. But yep. he's originally from Niagara Falls, New York. And, uh, yeah, he's he, – I don't want to say he's a mainstay in this area, but he's been brought in BCW, a local fed here, brought him in a lot of times. Like, he's well-known in this area. And then the other first uh, round title, tur- title tournament match, uh, Teddy Hart defeated Derek Wilde. Now, this uh, – this specific match, first off, it was very, very good. And once again, I cannot speak it enough. In 2020 eyes, it's like, oh, okay. In 2004 eyes, you didn't see this stuff. And these guys were flying all over the place. And then I'm 99% sure this is it, Ash. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. But Teddy Hart got on the backstop of... You know, if you go to a baseball stadium, that backstop, he climbed up the backstop. And where the, where the, the, where the fence is to yep. stop foul balls from going in the crowd. And did a moonsault on top of Derek Wilde. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yep. He, he climbed. He got him some distance with this. He got he got some height with this. Yeah, it definitely was. And uh, I, remember, I remember being in the crowd for this and just kind of being proud of the Western New York scene. Because, again, at that time, we had ESW just started, and they were using all locals. BCW was around. They were using just locals. Rochester had some stuff going on, but nothing major. So you had, like, this show, we had Puma, who was a local guy. 
you had Cody Steele, who was technically local from right across the border. Derek Wild was local, and they're getting they're getting attention. They're getting press here. And I remember Derek Wild and Cody Steele just debuted in ESW, and from I wasn't in ESW this time, but everything I've heard, they pretty much tore the house down against each other. Yeah, in a match, I think one match of the year for ESW. So they're kind of local. And it was that first feeling of now we have local people from Western New York that are getting a stage with national, international stars. And people from outside the area and big names are seeing what they can do. And it was a pretty unique, pretty awesome moment. And I could tell you, being at all the ballpark brawls, I think the atmosphere for this one, the way the crowd was, was honestly the best. I think they were the loudest. I think they were the most into it. Um, I think the the heel work that was done was really good, which I'll touch base in the main event. Um, but it was just the amped upness of of the crowd really oh, yeah. really made the, this event special. And but also also because like you you look at the first show and yeah, there was Jared, there was Raven, DDP was on the flyer, um, or DDP throwing out the first pitch. But this show. This show had Roddy Piper right on the flyer. And for people outside of Buffalo that might not realize it, like Buffalo was always a huge WWF town. We were a normal, we were a regular stop on WWF's tour, tour schedule in the 80s and then later in the 90s. So if you're running an indie fed back in the day in Buffalo, uh, you could book the Midnight Express. And you probably won't draw, but you book King Kong Bundy or Snuka or any former WWF guy, even a mid-card or low-card WWF guy, and you're going to sell out because this area is huge on WWF. And having Piper on the show, I think, sealed the deal for that. Like People seeing Piper on a flyer was going to bring people in, especially in this area. And same thing for Duggan. That's why Duggan has always drawn in this area more than I dare say he would draw elsewhere. Like the Northeast is a hotbed. Yeah, no, Duggan has done absolutely great uh, in the Northeast, and we'll, we, we'll be talking about him very shortly. Um, I do want to ask you, because I don't remember this promo, but friend of the show, Andrew Mullen, remembers this promo very distinctly. Was this the show where Teddy said he was going to move to Buffalo because he loved it so much, or was it later on? Yes. <laughs> okay. No, Teddy, after, Teddy Hart was moving to Buffalo. After, did not after, happen. Maybe after things would have ended up differently for oh, him. Here's the story. <laughs> after the moonsault, he gets in the ring. That's and okay. Yes, he, yeah. takes off, he takes off his sneakers. He's wrestling sneakers. He takes off his sneaker, takes off his knee brace, and he's claiming an ankle injury. Now, anyone that is aware of Teddy Hart's issues from that era will know that like he will do moonsaults off of cages, off of balconies, and then claim injuries. Uh, claimed an ankle injury. I wasn't at the after party, but I've heard from other workers that were at the after party that he was walking fine, but then still claimed an injury. But yes, he grabbed the mic, cut a promo, saying, I love Buffalo, I'm moving here. And this led into Malin, uh other fan of the show, and indie referee Dan Kriegbaum and several others um, who were fans at that point going on to realty websites, finding houses in certain, in certain suburbs and emailing them to Teddy Hart 
to show him like, hey, this is a good house you could buy. Like they were, they were all in on believing Teddy Hart was moving to Buffalo. Yeah, and 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 to this day, friend of the show Andrew Mallon is still bitter that Teddy Hart never moved. Buffalo was on Buffalo. the rise at that time, yeah. especially Amherst. Could have got uh, a good house in Amherst. Or yeah, now it would be worth so much. <laughs> yeah, he could have got a house, a really good deal, and like all the developments building up around it, like it'd be worth some money now. Um, as far as the heavyweight title tournament, because they only did first round matches that night. The I still said two people that were supposed to be in it that weren't. Zach Gowen that night, and I remember this being a big talk like in the crowd because people found out. Uh, that night, Zach Gowen actually no-showed, and he worked the Juggalo Championship Wrestling Gathering of the Juggalos. Uh, it was night two of that event where he defeated Briar Rellington. I mean, I would probably no-show this for... But here's the thing. He worked the day too. before against Lenny Lane, which... Can somebody find me Lenny Lane and Zach Allen? <laughs> um, but then the night after Briar Ellington, he works Lawler. So was he going to not work that second night, go to Buffalo and come back? Plus, he's, I mean, Garrettsville, Ohio is closer to Detroit than it is Buffalo. So, And, and a lot of times in wrestling, uh, you pick you pick a booking that you're going to have more fun at. Yeah. At that time, Zach Allen will tell you he was young, he was partying. Yeah. Wanted to party with the What's going to help with his career yeah. or When's he gonna? What's gonna have more fun? Uh, we both have taken more bookings that are kind of lackluster, but we've had fun at. Yes, I, I'll take fair shows all day. Oh. <laughs> I love my fair shows. Um, Conan, though, on the other hand, I found nothing. Uh, he didn't no show this for something else. He just nothing, uh, nothing till July thirty first in that month. So eh, who knows? Um, all right. So uh, then we had hacksaw Jim Duggan. Which was originally supposed to be Greg the Hammer Valentine he was supposed to face. But he went against Buff Bagwell. I, I, I'm I, disappointed. This is such a weird match. <laughs> like, uh, like, and it was weird. And at this time, Hacksaw was wearing the shorts, the basketball shorts. I mean, Hacksaw had his style of match at this point where it's the same. It's a Fed style match and it's the same basic moves so it's not like it's not like you need someone that can bump all over the place like it was I'm sure it was a night off for bagwell as well well yes but i, I also like bagwell at, at this point seemed like he did not care <laughs> like he just didn't um i don't think he cared since 1996 <laughs> no no he hasn't <laughs> that's a show for another day no no so, and, and side point because <laughs> okay it, I, I think you're, brought, very, I think you're I brought, very passionate about I think this I brought it up to you because every once in a yes, while you have. i've been i've been getting into watching old wcw saturday nights from the late 90s during this whole quarantine i've got some free time and uh i often go down a rabbit hole and using chris harrington's uh website that lists the WCBU contracts where if, if anyone doesn't know there's a racial discrimination lawsuit that occurred in WCW in the early 2000s and from that we have everyone's pay from WCW if you just go to Google type in WCW contracts I think it's the first thing that comes up so you can see what everyone got paid and you can see memos of like deals that they were making proposals Buff Bagwell was making close to half a million a year and one of his one of his uh one of the contract proposals in i think it was 99 that i saw that i showed you that uh they had to put into his contract incentives where if he made it to the venue on time 
he got paid more. So how bad are you? How messed up are you? How lazy are you that you're getting paid half a million dollars a year and you can't even show up to work on time? Like, that's pretty lazy. Like, I know I shouldn't be, should be talking, but, like, come on. And then just a fun little story from this show. Uh, Joe Tadaro sent this tidbit. Uh, he, uh, Buff Bagwell was uh, a little drunk. It was kind of getting to it with uh, some of the local guys, including a uh, local wrestling announcer uh, um, who just most recently passed, uh, Ivan the Impaler, late great Ivan the Impaler. And Ivan's response to him was like, okay, settle down, handsome stranger. <laughs> so kind of like, so I, I bobbed for that. There's there another story where I'll try to clean this up that I heard from a from mutual friend that Buff Bagwell had either a fanny pack or a man purse, maybe a mixture of that. And uh, he had lost it at Pearl Street, the after party. And his fanny pack had some items in there that cost a lot of money. We'll just leave it at that. And he was freaking out because he was out a lot of money from the goods that was in that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, always interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Hear stories about Buff Bagwell, um, and Bagwell uh, would not return to Buffalo till way years, years, years later, <laughs> uh, when he would wrestle uh, for BCW. So. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. I yeah, you worked that show. I don't think I did. I, I, did, I did not work that show. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't remember. Like I worked with. Oh no, yeah, that was during the most during one of their last last runs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. BCW would be around for like two to three years, disappear for three, and then come back. Like it was a standard. That was, that was their standard operating procedure for the last 20 years. No, I worked at Buff in 06, I think, for Rock City Wrestling in Rochester. Like a w weird one-off show. No, he was always, he was always good. He's always good. Like, he was always good to me. Like, it was Buff and Luger was there and Luger did a run-in. And Luger's idea was he was going to run in and attack the heel that was working Buff. It was like, Buff Bagwell against Cage. Cage spelled with a K, as you, uh, local wrestling fans would know, like Cage of um, Binghamton's Cage. Um, and Luger, I remember Luger wanting to rack him. And Cage is like, what, over 300 pounds? Yeah. Like, granted, At that it, time, he definitely yeah, was. Granted, yeah, granted, he was not racking Cage. Like, he got in the ring. I think he might have tried a clothesline. Uh, and there was no rack. But I, I digress. Back, back to the card. Be, all right, back, back to the card. Uh, so, yeah, Jim Duggan defeats Buff Bagwell. Uh, then you had where Piper came out and kind of did a Piper's Pit. It involved Abyss, and Abyss came out. And then, at this time, Sean O'Hare came out and attacked uh, attacked Abyss to help out Roddy Piper. And what's what was fascinating about these ballpark brawls is – this is 2004. You didn't have the Monday Night Wars anymore. So there wasn't any suspense. Like you, If you were watching TNA, you're like, oh, hopefully that guy shows up there. But there still wasn't. When you're a local guy and you watch Sean O'Hare and Roddy Piper and they're on SmackDown, and a mere weeks later, they're popping up at your local baseball stadium. Like, Sean O'Hare was was a complete surprise. And it, I remember... As Sean a fan, loving that moment. No, I believe Sean O'Hare was just released like a few months earlier. Yeah, it was very. Even, yeah, I, no, actually, uh, April third, two thousand four, he was released. So, and I don't think he worked before then. 
No, because that's this is his ninety days. Yep. So, so he had his ninety days. Like this was his first appearance. It was a shock. Like he came out. And him and Piper uh, revisiting their alliance from a year early. And you'll actually see that uh, a little bit later uh, with uh, Charlie Haas. It's a very similar situation. Yeah. Um, but and uh, they had a um, Abyss and O'Hare had a match. Uh, Sean O'Hare uh, defeated Abyss by disqualification. Um, and then the main event. Uh, it was Al Snow uh, and Chris Candino, and Candino had with him good old Tammy Lynn Sitch, Sonny. Um, I, mean, I, I give it to Chris Hill for at least finding an ECW, another ECW original. Yes. For that, and like you're probably going to say it anyways, like this match delivered. Like, I remember this being a really good match, and they, them too. Like Chris Candino is always a workhorse, even when he didn't have to be. I remember there being three parts of the night where the crowd was just absolutely crazy. It was the Teddy Hart, like backstop, O'Hare coming out and helping Piper, and then this match, and this match delivered, and and Sunny was so obnoxious, like she was screaming and yelling, and she she knew how to play. It was almost like she channeled nineteen ninety four Smoky Mountain <laughs> Wrestling Tammy Lynn Sitch. like it was awesome. I'll, I'll, and I actually had a piece of, you know, we talk about people, I, I got a piece of the table and never got it autographed uh, that they broke. Uh, you never got it autographed, then how do you know? Like, you yeah, I, I can't, I like the guy who stole the wrench, I can't prove it. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to, and I don't know why I didn't uh, get autographed. I think still at this time, I wasn't, I was still in high school. So, like, it was kind of like, all right, got to go. Mom's picking you up, you know, that type of situation. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind fans do that because every once in a while at the ESW show, if we have a table break, some fans will go up and try to grab the table, and it helps us from doing ring crew because we don't have to throw the table out. If fans want to take garbage, go ahead. Oh yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this match delivered. It was a lot of fun. It was you know, and just like Teddy and Derek, it it brawled on the field. It, it was a good time. It was it they was fought what fans on top wanted. of the dugout. I yep. remember. I remember that. I remember pictures of that and video of that going. I don't want to say viral, but th- those. That those clips had went out there, and they were they were getting they were getting attention. And then this also started to be the time where like kind of tape traders got interested in the ballpark brawl because I don't think the first ballpark brawl was tape traded or cared about in that no, manner. No, no, I think this was I this might have been the first time George Mayfield was in the area with his uh, infamous table and his bootlegs that he was selling. Yeah, because I remember like that was the first I remember seeing. Reading George Mayfield for the first time at a bra. I got FMW DVDs <laughs> from that table. Like I was like, "What FMW DVDs?" See, that's where you went. I got a Dusty Rhodes uh, a DVD of like six hours of just weekly Crockett TV from '86 of like every Dusty Rhodes match and promo. And I also got a Piper one around that time too. It was basically the same thing. Which like Piper was like I think it was like '83 a Piper of just everything from Mid Atlantic. It was, it was treasure trove. Yeah, it, it, just like this is before internet streaming services. That stuff was hard to come by. Uh, no YouTube, nothing like that. So uh, in a nutshell, Ballpark Brawl 2 Field of Screams was a lot of fun. And I would argue, and we'll, uh, we'll as we go on in history, we'll, I'd argue that it was the best Ballpark Brawl ever. It probably was my favorite. I, I think so. It was probably... I. It, it's tough for me to say this, but it had a lot more national names instead of a lot of locals where i don't say that's a detriment like being local it was nice to see 
my friends and local talent on the shows. But when you look at it, like this show had more name talent than the other shows. And I think for novice fans and people going to a ballpark, going to a ball game and being either not wrestling fans or just being WWE or TNA fans, I could see them liking this show more than the other shows and just being like, who's this random local guy that they don't know. Well, and that's the thing. I, I think there was a mix, but I think the unknowns. I mean, you got to remember, like, you got to put 2004 in context. Abyss is just, I oh, think yeah. at this time he's teaming with Alex Shelley, maybe doing the baby bear stuff. Like, it's very new. Uh, it, Petey Williams just exploding on the scene with Team Canada. Uh, you know, Julio De Niro was doing the run with CM Punk. Like, these are guys that are just starting to get a buzz on the internet. But I, you know, but still the world really, they were undiscovered. Yeah. Um, from them um so then uh we'll move on to canadian carnage which this was another one i think 2004 may have been the best year um, yeah this was only one month later which and... awesome you think these shows be once a year this was twice in the second year of existence which means the bisons had a nice payroll <laughs> <laughs> i think i think if i remember right the discussion was uh they were doing them at slow at first and then realizing they were making money at it and then just starting throwing a little bit more money here and there. In. And I do believe there was a game before this. Uh, I don't think I wrote that. I don't think I, I researched that just because uh, it was much harder to find baseball results prior to 2005 from minor league. But I believe the flyer uh, – I can't zoom in on the flyer. Uh-huh. They, did, they, did, they did have a baseball game. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's weird how easy some of the results were to find for AAA baseball and some weren't not that like, I know people listening, they're really not here for that, but you know, I, I just find it fun little tidbit. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to see because as we go on, we'll see how baseball plays a factor in here, like how there were some, there were some brawls that didn't have a game. So they were trying to go off of just the name of the brawl. And the, the name value of the names and how some had the game. Um, yeah, well, because it was the game, it, it, there was like a combo ticket. You couldn't buy wrestling separately. Yeah. You know, uh, but it, w- was it? I think you could. I, I think uh, they were field seats. If you, you can buy field a ticket. Field seats, yes. If you buy a ticket to the game, you sat in the bleachers. If you bought a field ticket, for wrestling, you got both. You got a ticket to sit in the crowd during the baseball game, but also like a VIP ticket that got you onto the field. Which I think I had game. a field seat for everyone but one. And I think that was just because the two guys I went with, like they they, they didn't want to buy field seats. Yeah, I was going to do that. Where it was in college, so. And honestly, like I'm probably in the minority, but like even when I go to wrestling, I go to WWE nowadays. I like having elevated seats. I don't like sitting on the floor. I like being in bleachers and high up, uh, just because like you could see a lot more. And I'm giving my space. I need. I don't like to be around people. And like for me, for the early ones that I went to as a fan, it was much nicer to be just finding a spot up in the up in the crowd, just sitting and enjoying the game and enjoying the wrestling. So. Like so, we move on to August 14, 2004, Ballpark Brawl 3, Canadian Carnage. And you advertise under the also appearing, all showed up. Bret Hart, Christopher Daniels, Jimmy Hart, Jim Neanville Neidhart, Derek Wilde, 
Cody Steele, Tracy Brooks, Amazing Red, were all there. The ones that did not show, well, the, the and say did not show the matches that did not happen were a natural heavyweight title three way uh, between Petey Williams, Ron Killings, and Abyss, uh, or AJ Styles versus Sabu. Um, Actually, I, I believe that might have been a typo on my part. Oh yeah, I, no, no. It, if, if you look it, at the, it the ended flyer, up into a triple the flyer threat. lists like Ron Killings, Petey Williams, and Abyss, and then Teddy Hart below that doing his, a picture of him doing the moonsault. So I believe what it was was just. Talking about this is the to name the natural heavyweight title tournament just lists those four. So I believe they were hyping a four way with them, uh, or maybe a title tournament. Well, well, let's, this yeah. is what we got. Uh, um, we got Jim the Anvil Neidhart uh, defeating Johnny Puma, uh, like that local wrestler Johnny Puma. Um, do, 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 uh, I will make a comment on that because at that show. Who ended up being the de facto Russell the Legends guy for a little bit? Yeah. So we talked about the first show using a Louisville ring. Second show used OSPW's ring, a kind of subpar, lackluster, local indie fed that's no longer around. Bopper Pro 3 used the NWA Upstate slash UPW ring. So they rented the ring from Hellcat. And I was de facto ring crew because I was technically not a full-time member of UPW roster, but I would go to the shows, be associated with BCW. So I was there helping with the ring. And I remember uh, sitting in the dugout with the rest of the ring crew for this. And we're kind of privy to what's going on. And Puma came up to us beforehand and kind of nervous. And someone asked him why. And he's like, well, just, he's like, just watch. So Puma gets in the ring. Nidar comes out and he's walking kind of slow. Then we notice him kind of staggering a little bit. And then he tries to climb the ring steps and then grabs the ring post for balance as he almost fell off the ring steps. And don't want to talk ill of the dead, but he was very inebriated for this. He had some personal issues. Yeah. Yeah. And those, I mean, those have been documented. Uh, but, I mean, it was what you expected. Johnny Puma, if you've never seen him, look him up. He's great at those Legends matches. Yeah, it was Puma. Just Puma was a bumping machine. Just bumped his ass off for for the match. Um, you next had Derek Wilde defeating Cody Steele. So two top Canadian guys uh, that were very familiar with the area. Um, next is uh, Jimmy Hart defeated a radio DJ, uh, Dave Blazard, and Dave Blazard currently is in Canada, but. If I remember correctly, because this was all about being Canadian Carnage, I think he worked at one of those Canadian stations during this time that got over to our border. Because like we would get 101.1 and a yeah, few others. Yeah, we'd get a lot of stuff from Hamilton, a lot of stuff from Welland, a lot of stations, just because of the proximity to the border. I don't think he worked for a Buffalo radio station. I could be wrong, and please, if you're listening... Uh, correct me. You could send me a message, but uh, hey Dave, if you're listening, if you still follow, if the, if the, yeah, if the, he 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 posted a Rick Twitter, Flair uh, Twitter uh, uh, video like literally 22 hours ago. <laughs> so he's, oh, still, so he, he's still he's still he, a fan. Okay, he, he's def, he's definitely still a fan. Um, he's been promoting the Blue Jays a lot, so I'm sure he's been. Uh, pop, oh yeah, 
But yeah, he's working at 90. He's a program director at 91.5 The Beat and 107.5 Dave Rocks. He's also the evening host at Energy 953 Radio. He's a talker on 93.1 Fresh Radio. Professional amateur IG Dave Blizzard. So yeah, he's, he's a workhorse. Yeah, he's definitely he's a around. workhorse there in uh, in radio. And, and like I said, I mean, I could be wrong, but he probably works for like Z101 or something. Okay. If 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 I remember um, correctly, that that's it was one of those stations that yes, they're based in Niagara Falls, Ontario, but you got him over here, which would work in the Canadian carnage yeah. theme of things. Uh, then you had the natural heavyweight title uh, tournament. Uh, these were semifinals. Uh, well, this was semifinal where it was Abyss versus Ron Killings. It went to a no contest. Uh, I don't really remember the finish of that. Uh, then there was a replacement. Um, so Petey Williams... Trying to think of who he was supposed to wrestle. So, PD lost in the first round against Julio Janeiro. Yes, that's right. In the uh, Ball Pop Raw 2. But Julio Janeiro was not. Julio Janeiro no showed because he was. Was he not in the flyer? No, he wasn't. So, he. I don't think he no showed, but he obviously won. He didn't show up the second time. Uh, I believe I had asked a uh, asked Creebom about that, and he just said. Uh, Ball Pro Pro 2, Julio beats Petey in first round, then retired or something. So Petey got a redo and lost again. So that's basically what happened. Um, but then they threw Harry Smith in there, and they called it the replacement match just because Abyss and Ron Killens went to a no contest. So two additional people got thrown into that match. And, yep, Harry Smith defeated Petey. So Petey was in the tournament twice, lost both times. <laughs> Well, and he was, I'll tell you, they were really going with the Team Canada heel stuff. Um, I don't remember if Damore was out with them at this time. Damore would show up on future shows. I believe Damore was there. Um, I don't remember if he appeared on, on screen, but like Damore started to have more of an influence and more of a hand in the brows. Not really, not really running them, but I, from what I remember and what I've confirmed, that he was doing a lot of agenting of the shows. And probably given just input on, hey, use this guy, use that guy. And as we'll see as we go on farther, go on through here, a lot of Border City and TNA influence. Yes. Um, by the way, uh, he would wrestle the next day, Julio De Niro, though. Even though he didn't show. Uh, yeah, it was in Delaware. I yeah, think. in Delaware Championship Wrestling, and he where he defeated Vic Divine. <laughs> Which I think, as a callback, I think Vic Devine was one of those random guys that defended and challenged for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Um, All right. So, uh, yeah. So moving on from that, uh, you actually mentioned, uh, you know, uh, so Harry Smith defeats Petey Williams. And then uh, this was the final match. It was to crown the first natural heavyweight champion. Uh, Teddy Hart defeated Harry Smith. Uh, At this time... I don't think Harry's Harry's no TV exposure. No, he didn't at that time. He was just basically uh, his dad just recently passed away. Um, so he, yeah, he was just out there working working indies, just trying to get a name for himself. And they did a nice thing too. We'll actually, t- I'll mention the next match, and then we'll talk about the nice thing they did. Next match they did was Natty Neidhart uh, defeated Tracy Brooks once again. Natty was very new, and if I'm. I could be wrong, but I think I'm 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 pretty sure I'm like ninety eight percent correct here. That was Natty Neidhart's first American wrestling appearance in the United States Independence. It could have been without me 
researching that, I'd say it probably is pretty close. To I remember it hearing is. that was the buzz of it. Like, oh, yeah, she's never wrestled in the States before. Um, and then, of course, we know what comes of Natty, who you now know as Natalia. Uh, and then Harry Smith, who currently is actually uh, in Major League Wrestling. And uh, is it is he in New Japan or no at this point? I know he f- goes back and forth between the two. Uh, Harry, but, uh, he's he just debuted in All Japan. All, oh, that's right. He just, yeah, All Japan's been uh, there. You know, this is a modern thing, but All Japan's they're looking to come back there. Uh, so I, occasionally, I'll look them up and see like who's who's going yeah, on there. And, I like, see Tajiri's influenced a lot now. I think yeah. So they've got some they got some former WWE people over there too now. They're 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 working on it. They have their they have an on demand network, and I think their on demand only goes back like three or four years though. Like for some weird reason, that obviously not the experts big on that, but like I think they don't own their original footage from like the seventies, eighties, nineties. They they don't. It's the network who owns. Yeah. So they have a they have a network. They have their own on demand network that's only the last five to ten years. Um. So what what's great is after this moment, uh, Bret Hart, who was there, was a special guest, and they actually did a Howard Foundation reunion with him, Jimmy, and uh, Jim Neidhart. Um. By the way. When they did that segment, Bret Hart stayed and signed every autographs for everybody. Like he probably delayed the show and like a lot, yeah. but he he stayed in because I know remember him having a long autograph line, and he had to cut it out early because the show was about to start. Um, I I think I missed a good chunk of the baseball game uh, because of that. Um, I w- I am correct. She didn't wrestle outside of Calgary before that so here's a fun this is stuff you only learn here on rediscovering the indies natty neidhart's first american independent wrestling match defeating tracy brooks in buffalo new york on august 14 2004 um then we had christopher daniels versus amazing red which for me this is the time i start kind of knowing what the independents are uh you know oh and then amazing red was just one of those first guys it's like well this dude's like what this dude's like Rey Mysterio. <laughs> yeah. And I guess yeah, he was getting a buzz off of TNA, yep. but like really wasn't out there for the novice fans. Like the, the fans that weren't paying for the weekly TNA pay-per-views. Like it was, it was a refreshing, a refreshing take to get him out there and get him on in front of, in front of the casual fan. Uh, and, and this was just what you expected. Daniel's great job. Amazing red. Just, you know, awesome, awesome, awesome guy. And, He's a he's a guy that I, I honestly he like flirts with retirement retires comes back like I want to see one real true last run from him uh, and then uh, we had the natural heavyweight title so what happened oh, wait, was just had the natural I know title. so Teddy Hart defends his title in a tables ladders chairs three way dance versus AJ Styles and Sabu um. Not sure why they did it that way. Maybe they knew, like, they didn't know if Teddy was going to make it in 2005. <laughs> like, I think my assumption, I think just because the way Teddy got over in the previous ballpark brawl was that we should have him listed as the first champion. But I think someone probably got in Chris Hill's ear and was like, hey, I don't know if he can be. AJ was very reliable. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus. Like I, if you want to during that time, if you want the belt on uh, someone that has name value, definitely AJ. And you have AJ Styles defeated uh, Sabu 
and Teddy Hart. And AJ, for him, that was his second ballpark brawl. And I think... Uh, no, Well, so him and Kid Cash and Tracy Brooks would all work multiple ballpark brawls from being on the first one. But no one else uh, on that original lineup ever returned. <laughs> oh, no, Sabu. I'm sorry. Sabu, yeah. Sabu's on a bunch. So, all right. So, four of the people that were on that original one did uh, return to uh, different ballpark brawls. So, there you have it. Uh, the second uh, 2004 ballpark brawl, uh, Canadian Carnage, where they had the Heart Foundation reunion. Um, I'm telling you, I mean, I, I brought up how much I like Field of Screams. I really like this one, too. Um I, I I think the Heart Foundation thing was cool. Natty, it, it was a, like a big thing for like to see Natty and 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 honestly, I, I, there was not much Harry Smith American exposure at yeah. that time either. I so, think what was big about it too was the Bret Hart, Jim Nat Hart Hart, Hart Foundation reunion. That was a big selling point there too. Plus, it was years. They haven't done that in years with yeah. Jimmy because yeah, this Jimmy during, was in WCW by '94. Yeah, no, this is during the era where. Nowadays, it's quite commonplace for, especially during like Mania Weekend, you're going to see like, oh, this guy's, this legend is working with this legend again, or uh, seeing these dream matchups again. But at this time, like you, no indie fed was paying to bring Bret Hart. Bret Hart was an expensive get. Uh, a lot of the names on this, a lot of like the big names that were in Barber Brawl, in later Barber Brawls and previous Barber Brawls were expensive names. So, like, you didn't really get to see Bret Hart at an indie show during this era. So, like, it was a welcome change, especially him and Neidhart and Jimmy. And with the entire Hart family, too. Like, I know that clip has gotten out there, too, with Bret Hart coming in the ring, congratulating both yep. Teddy and Harry. Um, And those of you that were just kind of curious at that time, like, Harry was starting to get a little bit like Jersey all pro brought him in major league wrestling started to bring him in at that point. Uh, he actually worked uh WWE dark matches. So he was had a little bit of American exposure uh, before the ballpark brawl. Unlike Natty, which like I said, it was her first ever uh, in American independent wrestling appearance, American wrestling appearance in general. Um, so then we're going to move on to the year 2005, the year I graduated high school. So, so young. I know that's, you're only a couple years older than me. Um, so this one was cool because it was on a Friday night, which I think was the first to do that. I remember the first one being on a Sunday, and I think both 2004s were on a Saturday. Um, but This, the first, was, the, this for, is the first one that didn't have a baseball game either. That Because you couldn't really logistically do that for Friday night because all the baseball games were always on Friday night at 7 o'clock. So what are you going to do the wrestling at 9, 30, 10 o'clock? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was the first one. And what's interesting about – this one um, would be that wasn't supposed to be Dusty Rhodes as the major name. It was, and I don't think many people remember this either because I didn't remember it at first. I didn't I, either. I ended up finding a press release with it. Like, so who was the original name? So the original name was Terry Funk, and there's actually there is a flyer. I think I put Google Images. I I tried to find Bopper Brawl for flyer. And an original flyer with Terry Funk came up, and it blew my mind because I don't remember. Because there was a press release that came out a month before the show listing Terry Funk. The replacement flyer or the replacement press release came out a week before the ballpark brawl, before the event, saying Dusty Rhodes has replaced Terry Funk. 
not sure why Terry pulled out. He he was working regularly around this time. Uh, maybe his horse got sick. Sorry, that I could think. Yeah, that, that that was that was mine. Oh, my horse is sick, Christopher. <laughs> Can't make it. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that. On June twenty fifth, on a press release, he's listed. Like, and the show is on. Uh, and the show is July. Uh, what was me? What, what am I doing here? July fifteenth. So about three weeks, uh, give or take. Is they're saying, hey, Ter- Terry Funk is going to be on on the show. Yeah, he worked a month before he worked a no ropes barbed wire three way dance at Hardcore Homecoming in Philly. Uh, Sabu defeated Shane Douglas and Terry Funk, and then. Nothing until July 23rd and the 24th when he worked Juggalo Championship Wrestling. So that's what seems to be a recurring theme. The, those Juggalos want. stole a lot of uh, Ballpark Brawl names. Yeah. Uh, and they, J- July 8th, uh, 2000, uh, by the way, Juggalo Championship Wrestling, that's a possible subject for another day, too. Uh, July 8th, 2005 is when they announced the Dusty Roads. So there was a very short time frame. Of them announcing Terry, Terry canceling, and then trying to find Dusty Rhodes, which you kind of brought up names like you wouldn't think Dusty Rhodes would have been a big deal here, but 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 he was like I I remember like um, I don't like I wish I had statistics on the drawing on this card I I think it for being a Friday night I actually think it drew well um it didn't draw as well as with the baseball game I did watch this obvious. one this morning too yeah that that's uh, I have. I have the DVDs of four and five, so I was able to go back and rewatch those. And uh, me and me and uh, local wrestling celebrities, Super Beast, Rob Sanderson, and Jimmy Olsen, uh, aka my roommates, uh, went through and rewatched those uh, within the last week. And yeah, this brawl you could kind of tell uh, they did draw well, maybe close to a thousand, um, which is astronomical for indie wrestling in this area at that time. But also, uh, un- what was unique is when there's a baseball game, the ring. When there's a baseball game before the brawl, the ring is set up on home plate. For this one, with no baseball game, the ring was set up more in right field. Where, if you've ever been to the baseball st- baseball stadium in Buffalo, I think it's Salem Field now, whatever the name is now. Um, there in the right field, there is, I think it's called the Heron's Landing uh, spot. Yes. I, I, I think it still is, but it's basically where, like, it's like the, the you could chill. It's not actual seats. You could grab beers or like it's, patio it's, tables. Yeah, it's a bar area with, like, top, high top tables. It's like a, yeah, it's a patio area. table hang. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's what I was looking for. But, like, uh, the ring was set up more towards that area, so people you could sit there on those tables. I remember it might have been this brawl that I was sitting uh, with some friends for a little bit of it on those tables, having some adult beverages and watching the show. So this so this show, um, so the first match, the Backseat Boys, so at this time they were becoming a buzz in, like, CZW, uh, Johnny Cashmere and Trent Acid, they defeated the Outcast Killers, uh, Diablo Santiago and Oman Tortuga, who uh, I actually got to I got to meet and got to get to know Oman a little bit in my beginning of my wrestling career. Yeah, they were um, 
they were original New Millennium guys. So New Millennium Wrestling was the Rochester Fed that was around from like ninety nine to two thousand one, and a lot of guys in the area got their starts initially there. So like BCW in Buffalo grew out of that. Uh, Dunn and Marcos originally trained there. H.E. Loke was an original trainer. Yep. There, so like it, it was pretty much the genesis of indie wrestling in the area. Um, one thing you didn't mention, we didn't mention yet, I, is that Chris. I Hill, forgot to go with the preview. I forgot there was a lot of changes on this. Oh one. yeah, no, uh, I, just <laughs> I was like, oh, I just looked at that. Uh, Chris Hill had a T-shirt made that's during this time because in this time, July two thousand five, he's all in with working with local feds. So there is. Uh, there is a lot of cooperation with Upstate at the time. UPW was being their ring, their talent on the show. Uh, e- ESW as well, because there were some ESW guys on the show. Uh, New Vision and Neo Spirits, both in Canada, uh, had a hand in it. And there was a T-shirt that Chris Hill released and said, Philly is dead. It had ESW, Neo Spirit, and Upstate logos on it. A lot of people... A lot of workers from outside the area kind of scoffed at that and laughed at the shirt. Hill ch- turned it into an angle with, like, the Backseat Boys and uh, Slick Wagner Brown and a few others. Not really Philly guys, but guys just saying, like, uh, Buffalo. That worked the Philly area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they were going with that whole idea of Buffalo being the new hotspot for, for wrestling as opposed to Philly. And it was kind of like the... That was kind of the theme going into the show as well, as we'll see going going further. But yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the what was announced because Which just to see, touch on your point, Buffalo didn't become a hotspot until about thirteen years later. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it did happen, but it didn't it yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen until like thirteen years later. Then now there's so much talent coming out of the city. Um, it, it it definitely wasn't in two thousand five with a No, no, not at all. Um because as we'll get into uh, for matches that are announced, like for this we for this event we actually have a press release. We have several press releases. Plus we have the flyer. And as you can as we'll get into it, a lot of things changed. Like there was a six way match that was announced with participants listed on the press release, and then had different participants listed on the flyer. So it, I was going out of my mind trying to. F- figure out what was actually going on like as i was comparing all of this source material yeah because like so the the flyer said it was going to be peter williams chris saban sean spears john mcchesney roger strong and a mystery opponent uh but then the press release said peter williams chris saban cody Steele, john mcchesney roger strong and mystery opponent so they swapped out uh, cody Steele and sean spears uh also on the flyer it was jay lethal versus teddy harp but that would have changed, and then we were supposed to get CM Punk versus Teddy Hart. Well, here, here's here's the thing of that because I've had to uh, I verified that with uh, a few people, where it was scheduled. It was always scheduled to be Jay Lethal and Teddy Hart announced, and then CM Punk. This was during the summer of Punk. He already signed his WWE deal. Yep. He, he was going. He was yeah. Bound, yeah. He was. I don't remember if he was still working for Champion this time, but either way, like he was. Uh, he was finishing up his dates. This was one of his last, not the last, indie bookings he was going to take. And the whole idea was going to be CM Punk versus Teddy Hart. That was going to be announced at the show as an impromptu match. And from what I understand, uh, I 
was homicide announced beforehand? I don't think homicide was either. So uh, homicide would have been a surprise as well. Homicide was set to be the special referee for that match. Yeah. I had that unannounced match, but that was the original plan going into it. And as we'll go in further, we'll realize uh, the changes with Teddy Hart. But if you want to finish what was already announced. Yeah, then we were supposed to also have uh, AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels for a natural heavyweight title. Uh, Dusty Rhodes versus Kid Cash. Some of those things did happen. Um, and they said also appearing Terry Funk, no. April Hunter, Slick Wagner Brown, Abyss, Scott Demore, uh, Ariel, uh, Backseat Men. That's right, they were calling themselves the Backseat Men at that time. Matt Stryker, Cody Steele, and Bobby Roode. So yeah, so uh, you touch on your tidbit and then I'll... Uh, or should I get into the car when we get to the CM Punk match? We'll bring up the Teddy Hart stuff. No, I'll bring it up because it actually it started the show off. Uh, the show started with Chris Hill doing a impromptu uh, yep. promo, and CM Punk comes out. And Punk, that's right. Yep. And Punk buries Teddy Hart because Teddy Hart no showed. He said he was three reasons. First, he said he was injured. Then he said he was sick. Then he said he was stuck at the board. Yeah. So. Uh, so we never got, and that was during the time where there was a lot of heat on Punk. Well, there was a lot of heat between Punk and Teddy Hart at the time, which is not a surprise. Teddy Hart had heat with someone, so <laughs> it was common. It was it was commonly accepted that Teddy no showed because he didn't want to work with Punk. Yeah, this now, was beginning to be the one of the first times that Teddy burned a lot of bridges and. and was out of the business pretty much. Yeah, it was around that era that he yeah. was pissing people off. I believe he pissed off Fighting Punk. people in Ring of Honor. Yeah, I think he yeah. pissed off Punk. Well, he definitely pissed off Punk in Ring of Honor. So there's a bunch of Ring of Honor heat with that. So uh, so Punk comes out, craps on Teddy Hart, and then Homicide comes out, and they, they go back and forth on the mic, and the challenge is set for Punk against Homicide for later on. Which... Uh, and honestly, I feel like that was a better match than what Punk and Teddy could have been. Punk would have had more fun with that, which he did. Yeah. You could tell that Punk wanted to work Homicide. Had a lot of respect there. So, yeah, back to the card. As I brought it up, that we had the Backseat Boys. who were calling this the Backseat Men. Casper uh, and Trent defeated the Outcast Killers. Uh, John McChesney, uh, fabulous John McChesney, friend of the show, he defeated Johnny Devine. Um and this was about the time you started seeing Demore. Scott Demore was uh, was popping up. Uh, Matt uh, Matt Stryker also. No, by the way, that was also DQ too. I think when Chesney won, right? Yeah, it was very yeah. weird. Yeah. I'd asked a few people like what because I, I couldn't remember what happened. It was a giant divine open challenge. Even when I you, watched it this morning, I was yeah. Like, you, like if you can last, if you can last the time limit with giant divine, like the five minute time limit, I think Chesney got a victory or got something out of the deal. Um, Probably a beer at the after party, but um, Giant Divine could not make John McSusie tap out. But then Scott Demore threw in the tower right beforehand. There was some confusion with the ref. I don't really know. It seemed like there was confusion as soon as the match was over. And Matt Stryker, who at the time was just off his WWE uh, WWE extra spot, and he was working as he was doing kind of like a, a copycat gimmick. He came out dressed as the Ultimate Warrior, and uh, and and I have a funny story with that. He came out, cut a promo, and then him and Divine did. It wasn't really a match; it was more of like just comedy routine. Let's so this is the show that I, I thought I wasn't on the field for this, but I don't know. I must have been in the stands like 
visiting with some friends and went back down the field. I can't remember, but I remember being in the stands, like in kind of close to the, not the entrance way, but they had, but they had like a side way where some of the guys were watching matches and we saw Matt Stryker. I had no idea what Matt Stryker looked like. <laughs> right. And then my buddy goes, dude, I think that's Chris Chetty. I'm pretty sure that's Chris Chetty. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, Hey, he goes, Hey, are you Chris Chetty? He's like, yes, I am. So we're like, oh, wow, we just met Chris Chetty. Well, who's he wrestling? Yeah. That? And then he comes out and he does Alta Warrior thing. And then they're like, Matt. So I'm like, that wasn't Chris Chetty. <laughs> so even though he, he, Matt Stryker, you lied to me and you told me you were Chris God Chetty. Damn it. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, Stryker had, Stryker had a lot of buzz around that time. This was the you remember, Angle uh, Invitational. Yeah, Kurt Angle was doing an Angle Invitational at the time. That's actually our Cody Steele, Cody Diener first got attention yep. like he did it angle would bring out a different indie guy every week on on smackdown and would uh would tap him out within like 90 seconds but matt striker got attention because he was one of those individuals he was working as a school teacher in new york city at the time and used a sick day to get that spot and when the school district saw him on tv realized that he was using his sick days for wrestling uh, he was ceremoniously fired, and it like it made all the wrestling news sites. And he was hot; he was getting booked everywhere. I mean, now in fifteen years later, like how many indie workers can say that they've they've done that? Like I've definitely used sick days for indie wrestling dates over the years. I think it's par for the course. But he just used it for national TV and got caught, and was a very hot commodity at this time. And then, uh, so, so yeah, and, and the Matt Striker like gimmick thing was kind of over, and I'm surprised they never did it in WWE because yeah, it, WWE it, signed him and just worked off of yeah. the uh, the teacher gimmick at first before they transitioned him to announcing because he he would uh, he would appear at a uh, later that year as well yeah. <laughs> uh, at the ballpark brawl. Um, then there was also a uh, the six way match, so we finally. What is the lineup going to be? It was Chris Haven defeated Jay Lethal and Mastiff, who was never scheduled on any of them originally. Oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. And but Petey like... Williams and Roderick Strong and Sean Spears. And it looks like Chris Haven won that one. This was a lot of fun because you had a couple. Well, I mean, you had Mastiff, who was a local guy. Jay Lethal was in the Ring of Honor at the time. Petey Williams, we've talked about. Roderick Strong, Master of the Backbreaker, Ring of Honor stuff. And then Sean Spears, who... Uh, I, this is probably right before he got signed by WWE. Yeah, it was shortly beforehand. Like they were but doing, he, he was wrestling in the area because yeah, Demore was doing. Uh, they had a segment they had filmed and aired on the on the screen beforehand, where uh, Sean Spears is kind of like a Team Canada person in training, where Scott Demore was like trying to get him to join, or telling him like if he wins a match, you can join that type of stuff. So like back at that time, we all we all assumed like oh, Sean Spears is going to be on TNA. And WWE scoops him up. Now, the Mastiff thing, and we'll call him a Mastiff. Current fans know him as Will Calrissian of ESW fame. But he was breaking out at that time. The reason he was in this, there was a Scott Demore, Petey Williams seminar before the show. Since there was no baseball game, they had time to set the ring up and go through. And there was a seminar, and the winner of the seminar got to be in the sixth way on the show, which... Mastiff won. Now, if I remember right, uh, Mastiff was always destined to be in there. I don't, I can't say for sure, but uh, that's 
I know. That's I, how he got into I the, talked to the Will match. before this. They did like a seminar before, and oh, yeah. he won it pretty much. Demore liked him the most. That was that was shoot. Like yeah. Demore liked him the most uh, uh, from that seminar, uh, which I mean had a lot. I would imagine had a lot of guys, a lot of good guys in it. Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of quality local talent in there. Well, he said people like came from out of Buffalo to it. Not oh yeah, just Canada like. I'm because I'm sure the Philly guys brought Philly guys and stuff yeah. like that. Once, once you hear that, I remember uh, back in the year in this time, like when BCW were on a seminar. Um, like I want to say around this time, we did a uh, Johnny Swinger seminar that I participated in, and there were people from out of state that came in for that. It's like seminars with names was not a big thing back in the mid 2000s. So if you heard that a a name talent was doing a seminar three states over. Like, you would haul ass to get there and make it work. Especially this, when you had Scott Demore, who was on TNA, who's just starting in, like, the office in TNA. When you heard, like, he was doing a seminar, you were going to be there. Yeah, because you consider it, like, a TNA tryout, almost. Yeah. Unofficially, but, like... Unofficially, yes. Yeah, but you're you're getting in front of someone that has some pull in TNA. Like, if you're doing a good job, like, that can open up doors for you. Uh, the next match we had was Abyss versus Slick Wagner Brown, which I, I watching today, I forget how good Slick Wagner Brown is because you've had a lot of experience getting to work with him in the TCW days, but like I never really worked with Slick. He's so good. Yeah. But, uh, oh, no. Uh, Slick is He beat so up some good. local guys in this, which aren't listed. They're listed on the, on the, uh, uh, on the, the actual results. Okay. The word doc. But uh, yeah, so he 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 beats some uh, local guys, which I, I love when these names and you're like, oh wow, like uh, let me just pull the the Google Doc professionalism, guys. Sorry, just why it's not pulling up for me on the Google Doc. All right, so uh, yeah, he worked. Uh, he came out, did the gauntlet, uh, basically ran down Buffalo, saying, "There it yeah, is." Yeah, so that, Sorry, guys. That's fine. Uh, first off, he faced Crazy Steve. Who at that time yep. was also was before prior to the CNA run, he was also part of that local group with Cody Steele, Derek Wild, Sean Spears, like the Southern Southern Ontario talent that was really, really good and just breaking out. Uh followed by that, followed by Benjamin Smythe, who uh for ESW fans might not know who he is. He originally was in a tag team called Wrestling Inc. with Brandon Thurston and Chris Cooper. They did like a team angle type ripoff gimmick, so they're all amateur wrestlers and worked off that. Smythe is uh, Smythe left the business shortly after that. I believe he went to the Air Force or Army. I yeah, know Thurston could. Thurston, tell more. Did, Thurston did tell me. I, I forget because yeah, we, yeah. we brought him up on a previous episode. But I've all, I've never met him because it was before my time in ESW. But everything I've heard from people has like he I've was heard a great nice guy. Things, yeah. yeah, no one ever said the bad about him. Uh, followed by Kevin Dunn, who at the time was in Ring of Honor. Uh, one half of the Ring Crew Express. Yes, he was a uh, he was a top local at that time. Him and me, and Marcos, and then followed by uh, I believe current ESW Heavyweight Champion Damien Alexander. At that time, at that time, yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, which which you got to remember, like independent wrestling two thousand four two thousand five. It's the beginning of the small guy era, where it it, it really mattered how much like, you'd be in shape, but like, you didn't have to be this. But Damien Alexander had a look. Yeah. And he's one of those guys, you, you probably, a lot of you probably listen, never heard of him. He's one of those guys that looked like a Vince McMahon guy. Kind of surprised he never yeah. got a never got. He a looked very similar to Riot for yeah. fans local. Uh, and he was done locally full time in like 08, I want to say, 07, 08. 
And uh, longtime ESW fans would also remember him in probably 2011 or 2012. He came back for like a brief run as part of Caesar's Legion. Yeah, yeah, he came back for like a like a brief run. Um, but yeah, just he's a big guy, throw people around, yada yada. Uh, and then uh, we had uh, let's see here. You had Abyss and then Slick. Yeah, we're, Abyss, Abyss with, came out with the no contest. Yeah, but like the 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 interesting thing of that, like so, Wagner beats all of these local guys, and out comes Hellcat, who Hellcat defending Buffalo when he's actually from Rochester and wearing a LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers jersey. So, uh, but Hellcat comes out and brings out his new charge Abyss, and they just they have a very physical. Uh, very physical match that ends in a no contest and actually shows like uh, it'll be more explained as we go on future shows about the the Wagner abyss angle. Yeah, and 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 that was one of the crazy things that the ballpark brawl did too, and it started around this era was build long term storylines, and it's crazy when you run one to two shows a year that you're trying that you're not just doing hey we're just gonna have cool attraction matches. It, it reeked of Southern Tier Wrestling. Yeah, so like... Like a fed we work that pretty much only does fair shows and spot shows in the summertime, but try to do Continue angles. feuds yeah, yeah. and stuff. So, hello. Uh, so, yeah, so... And, and like I said, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Abyss and Slick Wayne Brown, what happens with them. Uh, you had CM Punk defeated Homicide, which was an incredible match. Yeah. Um, and like I said, Punk, this is one of Punk's last few indie dates before he's actually headed to WWE. Uh, then you had Dusty Rose versus Kit Cash, which rewatching this today, I loved it. It was it was what you expected. It was old school. Yeah. Like Kit Cash grounded himself a little bit, but it was fun. And I think the crowd loved Dusty, which once again, I get it. Dusty's Dusty, but we're talking a WWF area. But yet they, the NWA did do well here in the late 80s. So maybe that was a little bit of that Dusty. Yeah. No, when I, when I said earlier, I don't mean like an NWA guy or a Crockett guy could not draw in this area, but just uh, like Barry Windham's not draw in this area. Not yeah. I love Barry Windham, and he he would draw a house in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. But he wouldn't draw a house in, in Buffalo. The people that, yeah, the stars that work Russell Cade, the names would not draw a house in Buffalo, New no. York. You need the classic WWE guys. But there's still guys like Dusty that transcend the business and could draw a house. Um, you had Ariel, the Portuguese princess. It was, cr- and you know, watching this today, and she defeated April Hunter. Watching this today, like, I feel bad for some of these women in that time period because of how women's wrestling came to be and how well respected it is. And Ariel's one of those women that was just, it was just all about her work. And she, and like, I don't know when her last match was. I'm not gonna dig it up a cage match, but. Uh, she's one of those that's it's like what could have been if she continued working or she came a little bit later yeah when i'm looking up stuff uh she was working she worked a few upstate shows around this time too especially the ballpark the the upstate eight working a lot of jersey all pro for fat frank she was doing that stuff and also april hunter was with slick wagner brown at this time so she was out there ringside with him during his gauntlet and then out here uh wagner's with him uh Wagner's with her for this segment. Because this led to some more Slick Wagner Brown Abyss stuff. Yeah, and, and I do want to say out of all the uh, the referee for this match, who I'm sure he volunteered for that spot, is referee Ron Falco. 
I'm, Pro- props I'm, to you, referee Ron Pelko. I'm, I'm watching all these matches and watching all these refs that I know that are working this, and I'm just seeing, like, of course, Ron would take the women's match. <laughs> and then we had, we had uh, which was a stellar match, uh, the natural heavyweight title, two out of three falls, where Christopher Daniels defeats AJ Styles and wins the title. And then, uh, you know, if you watch that DVD, and uh, and you look really closely at the end there. Uh, AJ's leaving, and there's a, a very young. Uh, I didn't show you this picture yet because it was hard to take, but very young Chris Gullo with glasses and very big goofy ears, uh, like trying to like high five AJ as he leaves. Uh, but yeah, Christopher Daniels. So they're kind of doing a little flip flop with the title. Which I mean, if you run a show once or twice a year, you're going to do that. It's almost a given. But uh, da- Daniels and AJ was. What you expect. Yeah, and if I remember right, it was the first fall had to be submission and second fall had to be pinfall. So you had to beat yeah, your that's opponent. Right. You had to beat your opponent not only by one type of mat, one type, but the other type too. So you had to make them tap and pin them. So yeah, they won about 20 minutes. Really good contest. So the next, uh, so um, anything to touch on this ballpark brawl before we move on, actually, the Friday Night Smash? I think honestly Terry Funk would have been great, but I think Dusty was was a really good yeah. replacement. I mean, if they could have got Dusty versus Funk, it would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, I don't think it hurt the brawl at all. Not having, not having Funk. Um, I don't think Funk ever worked here though. After that, uh, no, not since then. I remember he did one of the Apollo shows. Yeah, not so, yeah, um, no. that were like thunder tapings or nitro tapings. Yeah, but he hasn't worked. Yeah, yeah, no, he hasn't been in Buffalo and. Uh, Unfortunately, probably never will just because the cost of flights. And the health from... issues. He's yeah. like on and off. Yeah. Um, so then uh, we have. Uh, one a, month later. One month later. And it's going to be two shows uh, in a row. One in Buffalo, one in Rochester. I did not attend the Rochester Rumble. We'll get in that in a minute. But it was Ballpark Brawl 5. Have a nice day. Uh, featuring Mick Foley. Uh, now, we, we got some fun stuff uh, on this uh, show. But. You found something that, that that I was very surprised about. That they were going to do a battle of the bands for this show. And I could tell you that being a big ballpark brawl fan, like I said, I went to every single one but the Rochester one. I don't ever remember this. No, and I brought this up. Uh, I brought this up to Sanderson, who uh, was working with Russell Vision uh, around the time, or at least associated with them. Kind of knew all the stuff going on. Did not remember this at all either, because if you read it, uh, the part of the deal of the Battle of Bands was you would get five hundred dollars, and you would also get a uh, like your song would be on the DVD for the music video. Yeah, for four and five. Yep. Yeah, and uh, that never happened because I have the DVD, and it was a band called Highland Drive, which was the band that played the theme song for Russell Vision before and after this time. So I, they pro, more than likely probably just dropped it because they didn't get any interest. Well, because here's another thing, too. The top 20 entries will be utilized as entrance music for other wrestlers on the card. So, like, if you were a band, like, why not? Like, your music's going to yeah. get heard. Uh, all entrances will note the bands and music titles on the stadium big board as well as be organized on Ballpark Brawl. Um, I mean, it was a cool concept, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they just didn't get it out to the right people. Like, not... 
Oh, because not the right, ba- not the right bands. Maybe some talent agencies didn't get the memo. I they I don't think they advertised it because I I personally ran like I helped run a battle of the bands probably eleven months after this uh, in May of two thousand six when I was working at WBMI and uh, the submissions were nuts. We had a lot of submissions, so. I just don't think they really advertise it. This article on wrestlingfigs.com may be the only. It's yeah. the only thing I found. Uh, yeah, see, like I had, to, I had to do research on it too and like figure it out. And like I said, when we watched the DVD to see like what band won, and no, it was it was local Rochester band Highland Drive that had, was on there, but they they were already being used. So it tells me that they did not do the battle of the bands. So. Um, there was a uh, the press release, and we'll go on the organized card, but the the, the press release, uh, which was going to be that three-time WWE tag team holder Charlie Haas was added to the ballpark brawl on August 13th. Mick Foley appearance, uh, Abu versus Sandman, and the fallen Angel Christopher Daniels versus Chris Sabin highlight the day. Um which was great about this, though, um, and I think it's funny. I'm looking at the notes. Me and you both found the same article for this. Uh, they interviewed Charlie Haas, and I said, I cannot wait for this show. I have a lot to say, a lot of pent-up frustration, but more importantly, I have a lot to do it. Uh, the sign on the marquee says wrestling, and that's what I plan on doing in Buffalo, and I don't have a script to do just that. Some of the first, I think, leaving WWE, like, they're not going to script me anymore promos. Uh, just give me a ring and an opponent. I'll do the rest, said Mr. Haas. His opponent for the show has not been set, but uh, looks to be determined at the show. Now, he uh, was released by WWE a month earlier. So this is this is even before the 90-day. 90, 90 uh, I yeah. mean, they were in doing the 90-day, but a month later, he's working this show. So I, I, From what I understand, sometimes 90 days, like, they would allow you to do certain things within that 90-day window if you ask them to. And uh, in all intents and purposes, nothing's really stopping you from working during those 90 days. Like, you would just be in violation of your contract. You wouldn't get paid, and you might be forfeiting future uh, royalties. But if you're a guy, like, if you're a young guy that just want to get out there and work and you have the, you have the confidence in you that you're going to make that money, go work. Go work when, you're, when the iron's hot. And also, too, alongside with him on this show was Jackie Gata, who was also just released at that time. Yes. Um, they were released on the same day. Uh, so there was a baseball game that day. The Bisons won. Yeah. They beat the Ottawa Lynx, who no longer exist. Eight to one. <laughs> yes. Eight to one. Sorry, did, Ottawa Lynx. Did the Lynx move or do they just like just don't exist anymore? I think they moved. I'm pretty sure they moved. Um, I'm. And I could ask somebody, uh, you know, after the show who would probably know, but um, the the AAA International, well, the International League uh, History Twitter follows me, so I could definitely ask them what they would know. Um, Um, They were sold. The new owners moved the team to Allentown, Pennsylvania, beginning with the 2008 season where they became the Lehigh Valley. I should know that. It's the Phillies AAA affiliate. Yeah. Yeah. Still to this day. Uh, So, yeah. So, uh, also on the show, so this is this is what was advertised for Have a Nice Day. Uh, we Sanjay Dutt versus Trent Acid, which we got. Matt Strecker versus McChesney versus Bobby Roode versus Damian Alexander versus Glenn Spector versus a mystery opponent on the flyer, which we got. But on the press release, they had Matt Strecker, McChesney, Spider Nate Webb, which I am so sad that that <laughs> didn't happen. Damian Alexander, Glenn Spector, 
and uh, mystery opponent. So basically, Rude, uh, Nate Webb was taken out and Rude was put in, or vice versa. But either either way, it didn't happen either of those way. Yeah. You also had Sean Spears and a mystery opponent versus Team Canada, uh, Pete Young or Rude, uh, Abyss versus Slick Wagner Brown, Jackie Gator versus Tracy Brooks versus April Hunter versus Jimmy D versus Question Mark, uh, Christopher Daniels versus Chris Sabin, um, which did not happen technically, uh, <laughs> Sandman versus Sabu, and then also Perry McFoley and Jimmy Hart. But for the most part, almost everybody was there. Um, yeah. like if, if you've noticed, it's a common theme to just do Question Mark. So a lot of especially the flyers it was always this guy versus this guy versus question mark and whether chris hill had an idea or just see who shows up or who, who knows but there was a common theme of not actually announcing every every individual when i put something on facebook about this show um a lot of people who worked it locally uh wanted to, to address like how great mcfoley was um, how great he was at the guys, very welcoming. I know, like, Johnny Kayfay messaged me. He he had nothing but great things to say. And I, I've worked with Mick Foley uh, as far as, like, in a stand-up capacity, and he's really good. Uh, and he, he, like, I never really heard anything negative about the big names they've had, but, like, a lot of positivity Oh yeah, came, I've... came out from, from working Foley. One thing I did forget, because I don't think he pops up again, I forgot to tell my Teddy Hart story. So a local wrestler, I won't mention him in case he doesn't want to be named, but a local wrestler did tell me that uh, he was uh, smoking uh, marijuana uh, with uh, Teddy Hart. And Teddy Hart also had a friend who was also smoking the marijuana, his cat. Yes, (laughs) Teddy Hart taught his cat how to smoke weed. (laughs) Like like he knew how to smoke a blunt, (laughs) like for what I was told. So the things you learn on rediscovering the Indies. Like, by the way, we don't condone. We we, do not, we are not a pro Teddy Hart show, but by he's way, a big part of this history. Uh, one of the, I did not get the confirmation, um, but from what I heard, there was like the ballpark brawl after parties were legendary. They're at pro can't street. wait to talk about beef kick because I was there. <laughs> they were uh, they're at Pearl Street Bar and Grill, which is a bar. Is that the official after party of like all Bison's games too at that time? I think they were. They having, were doing they some were... like ticket thing. Like if you bring your ticket, they did it for the bandits too. I think they still do it for the bandits. Yeah, uh, but I think they were doing the. If you brought your ticket, you got like a dollar off. And I want to say that they were owned or are owned by Riverworks, like the owner they are... owns Riverworks associated yes. with Pearl Street too, and so. also Lafayette downtown. Yes, so uh, it's a Pearl Street bar and grill. Might be a brewery. Um, yep, but uh. Yeah. One, of the, one of the first in the area that brew their own beer. It's a it's a it's a building that's like a block, two blocks away from the ballpark in Buffalo, and it's a three story building, and there's a bar in every story. So like, I think the second story, the first story had the restaurant, second story I think had pool tables, third had a bar and a like a nightclub type thing atmosphere, and there were a lot of stories of debauchery that we really. That we were privy to and we've heard the last few weeks and we can't really tell. I know there was one with uh, a local bell ringer, Todd Brantley, uh, shared an ice cream sundae with Johnny Cashmere. From what I understand, Cashmere bought a a sundae and just knew he wasn't going to finish it and asked, like, "Who who wants to share this ice cream with me? And Todd was very, very excited to raise his hand to share an ice cream with a backseat boy. I uh, yeah, well, because I remember that they got like that food buffet thing, and like he just like 
and, and uh, I remember, and like you could, if you had the VIP, you could also get the food buffet, like like wristband. And I remember, like, yeah, Abyss yeah. getting really mad because somebody ate all. The, it was where's all the food? Why are people eating the food? Yeah, I grabbed it a few shows too. I never had a VIP. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> they huh. were they were they were they were pretty lax. They were pretty lax on that. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll get into uh, we'll get into the card here. Uh, so Sanjay Dutt defeated Trent Acid, and then this is the picture I sent you this morning. <laughs> Of me in a Captain Charisma shirt. Uh, very excited to see Sanjay Dutt. Um, you, uh, we also had a, a natural, uh, which that was a great match. We had a natural heavyweight title. Uh, uh, six-way, Harry Smith uh, defeated uh, Bobby Roode. Um, let's see, let me pull it up here. Uh, let the little whack in there. Yeah, Harry Smith defeated Bobby Roode, Damian Alexander, Glenn Spector, John McChesney, and Matt Stryker. So Glenn Spector, to kind of describe what he was doing, he was doing like a... Uh, it was a Wonder Man, a Wonder Woman gimmick, but he was a boy, so he was Wonder Boy. So he had that kind of like yeah. yeah the, he, he was pretty built too. He wasn't like a small, skinny guy. Like uh, he looked size wise, he probably you could say he kind of looked like Eugene, like Nick Dinsmore, yes, like body type wise. So he must remember he wore a Wonder Woman outfit, and that was his, that was his gimmick. He debuted in uh, UPW about actually a year before this. Uh, won the UPW title in an upset and was, I believe, was still champion this time. Uh, you then, and, and this match, you talk about how it really gets local. You start really seeing the local influence, really. Uh, I mean, you got McChesney, you got Spectre, you got Damian Alexander all in that uh, natural heavyweight title six way. Then we had radio DJ, who at that time worked for Kiss 98.5. Jimmy T and Kamala with Dim Chi, which I cannot confirm that it was Dan Murphy. I mean, I'll confirm. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. Well, from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Dim Chi, spelled with a D. Yes, Dim Chi. Yeah. Uh, they defeated Jimmy Hart and Lanny Poffo. And I remember Lanny was leaving, and, and I was near the guardrail, and he looked at me and goes, This is my last match ever. And then he walked away, which I have not confirmed if that was true or not. I don't think it was. I know he's made indie appearances, but maybe that is true. We we, we watched this match uh, a few days ago, and it was quite enjoyable. When Jimmy T kind of looked like he could have been like a wrestling trainee, like he kind of was in shape. He wore like he actually had legit gear. Uh, so he, he for a second they're like, was this a plant? Is he actually a wrestler, like a trainee somewhere, like maybe a more trainee? And then we seen him in there with Lanny Poffo trying to throw strikes. And we're like, nah, he's DJ. Oh no! I mean, I was 17 years old, and I knew he was a Kiss 98.5. Like, cause well, that's you. That's you. I was well, well, Kiss 98.5. Yeah, he was. Yeah, well, hey, you know, it was, a, it, it, was it, the edge or 97 Rock at that point. It was the times. Yeah, yeah I could tell you that Lanny Poffo has worked tons of matches <laughs> since that. Since that event, at least 30. He he punched Super Beast at the wrestling show. Was it like a match? A though? Was it a match? Yeah, I guess you're right. He was seconding. So, um, but uh, yeah, so but. It was what you expected, little ha ha. You know, uh, here's a you know Jimmy Hart returning, doing the uh, you know the radio DJ comedy goof stuff. But it, it was fun for what it was. Uh, then you had a bull rope match, Abyss defeating Slick Wagner Brown, which I believe Abyss's mask was on the line for this one. Yeah, I believe so. Um, then you had the Air- bull, the, oh the bull rope was kind of weird. Uh, it was like a twenty five foot bull rope because there's a lot of slack in it. And it didn't quite go around the wrist. Like it was, they kind of both had, just had to hold on to it. So it was kind of weird. I think not. Not that I'm going to get into crapping on upstate this time. Um, I've 
done my fair share of critiquing local indie wrestling, but um, I feel like that was definitely like the ring was kind of uh, not up to par for the show and the show the next night, which we'll get into. But that bow rope was kind of subpar as well going into this. And the finish, uh, yeah, the finish was a bit going over. They teased thumbtacks. Wagner didn't go through thumbtacks. Abyss ended up grabbing referee, uh, referee Chris Bandage, a.k.a. Uncle Chris, a.k.a. Canadian Thriller, and chokes him and him through the uh, thumbtacks. So send the fans home happy. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a thumbtack spot, right? Yeah. Uh, so then you had Eric Young and P. Williams doing a Team Canada thing where they defeated Derek Wilde and Sean Spears. So here you got two Southern Ontario guys returning. Um, you're really starting to see that influence. Uh, and then you had a five-woman battle royal with special ref Jennifer Blake, who was, uh, at that time, she was managing Derek Wilde, wasn't she? Yes, yes. I think they still were. Yes. They were uh, engaged or some, they were involved. Which, uh, Jennifer, I th- I know she was in Mexico for a long time, and I worked a show with her about like three years ago. I think she's still as far involved. as I as far as I know, like I've she really yeah. created a niche for her in Mexico. I haven't seen her in any any Canadian shows or seen her name pop up, so I believe she's still working down there. So she's doing she's quite successful down there right now. Um, she, so uh, Jackie Gata defeated April. Jackie Gata getting the win. Uh, probably it was probably part of the hey we'll come. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, she defeated April Hunter, Jamie D. Natty Neidhart and Tracy Brooks. And it, Natty was the mystery person that yes. was announced for this match. And if you guys, um, as far as Jamie D, she was the Nia Jax of her time. <laughs> like, do, like, this is supposed to be like this Amazon, this monster. Uh, I think she had a very brief TNA run. Yeah, as, as Syria or yeah. Yeah, I, I'm butchering that name. But like, something yeah. with AJ or something. Yeah, like, she yeah. was a Border City person. She worked Border City, so she was in with that group, and she was making appearances here. She would appear also later at Ballpark Brawls, which we'll talk about a little bit. But uh, So, yeah, and then uh, then we had uh, the Nashville Heavyweight title, Charlie Haas, defeated. Charlie Haas, look at that, defeated Chris Saban and Christopher Daniels to win the Nashville Heavyweight title. Special. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. And then and then I'll get to the next uh, next match. But um, this was really good. Uh, yeah, Haas got thrown into the uh, main event, which you could tell how happy Haas was to actually wrestle. Like you're like watching it. And then we had the main event, and this was I, I found this interesting, and I do remember this, but I was like, was it necessary? Sandman had a manager, Todd Gordon. <laughs> Todd Gordon was with him, and uh, he he defeated Sabu, who was with Bill Alfonso, with Mick Foley as a referee. So it was almost like this ECW send-off. Now, you got to remember, at this time, we are literally less than two months out of one-night stand. Yeah. So the, the ECW nostalgia is at an all-time high at this point. Just knowing the people involved, I can see Sandman getting booked and asking Chris Hill, hey, can Todd Gordon come along? And Todd Gordon getting the payday of the deal. But also, I wouldn't doubt that Todd offered to drive Sandman and take care of him that yeah. weekend. Foley, uh, yeah, Mick was announced the special guest referee. Uh, Jim Molino showed up, and he was actually the referee for the match. Mick yes. stayed outside on commentary. I remember Molino refing some of the other matches. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, yeah, but he refed. I think Michael Shea did ref. Uh, another local Ontario ref uh, who worked under the name El Inferno was also a referee. I can't remember his his rough name he was on the show uh 
as he, Chris Bandage was on the show. I think Ron Falco also refed. But Mauno did the actual match and then fully rolled in to do the three count at the, for the finish. So he technically was the special referee. Yes. He, was a, he was a Mike Tyson outside enforcer. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly what he was. Um, so overall, I remember this show being a lot of fun. I wouldn't rate this one better than uh, Canadian Carnage or Field of Screams, in my opinion. But I do remember this. This and Friday Night Smash were good shows. They were fun shows. Foley was great. I actually caught one of the uh, the the Bison's baseballs, and I think I did have him sign it. Uh, the like, uh, but I thought that was really neat. Um, I remember watching watching that main event as uh, the participants are coming coming down the aisle, and you could see in the front row there, kind of on the aisle and the aisleway, was all of the UPW ring crew. So you saw. Latin Soldier, you saw Derek Duncan, uh, you saw Mark Mark House, uh, so a lot of future future stars of the local scene were there when they were trainees setting up. Mike Champion, I think, or Johnny K. Fabe as well. Even uh, local photographer extraordinaire Joe Hyrich was uh, doing ring crew at this time for these events. Yeah, he was there. It was weird. Watch the DVDs and the credits. You saw the street team. You had A. Mullen. You had Hydridge. You had Darren from Lockport, a.k.a. Uh, Richard Head. Which he supplied us. That he has every poster, so props to him. Oh, yeah. That was he, awesome. he got us all the posters. He's getting us the DVDs, unfortunately, with the pandemic and knowing how far Lockport is from all of us. It was kind of impossible to get them beforehand. But, um, yeah, he was there. Um, Kriegbaum, obviously. Referee. Florida referee Dan Kriegbaum. So, uh now we'll we'll move on to the Rochester Rumble. The next day, uh, there was supposed to be a game between the Rochester Red Wings and Paul Tucker Red Sox, where it was, uh, where uh, it was a uh, rained out. Yes, uh, and they did a makeup later on on uh, the next day. Um, so, how did the Rochester thing come about? Because I obviously know a lot about the Buffalo stuff, but it. I mean, the Red Wings and Bisons worked together. Maybe they just saw the money yeah, in it. Um, from what or I was remember, was Crystal involved with this one? Like, yeah, from what I remember, that it was that aspect of where it was working for Buffalo, and the Red Wings were interested. It was the idea came up, and it was like, "Hey, you're doing a game the next day. Let's partner here. We can share some names and share some talent." And it also came up because. The ring was being used was the UPW ring, uh, local Rochester Fed Upstate Pro Wrestling, then NWA Upstate. It was their ring. They're in Rochester. It makes sense. And you can have some local guys uh, on the show, too, as well. And it was it was a good thing. Like, Bu- Rochester, Buffalo was starting to take off. Rochester really didn't have much at that time. And this was, 05 was before I moved to Rochester. I was still within the Buffalo area. Um I made the drive out to the show. Was very was very excited for the show. Um and obviously fate played a hand in that as we get there and it is downpour. The game was rained out, but unfortunately with uh the issue as we see with later ballpark brawls too, when you're in a ball when you have a baseball game and it gets rained out, it just gets rescheduled. If you if it's firework night, the fireworks just get rescheduled. If it's bobblehead night, that gets rescheduled. You can't really reschedule 20 names and say, hey, the game is canceled. 
we're just going to have you stay here for two more days and, like, we're going to make this up tomorrow, make this up later on the week. You can't really do that. Like, you're going to have to pay those names. You're paying them to be there in town for the rain for the rained out game and then for the rescheduled game. Plus, you have to pay to keep them in town. So when you got to rain out. you got a rain delay. You have to make do. And, unfortunately, that's what had to happen here in Rochester where – Rochester's ballpark is not really a stadium shaped like a stadium like Buffalo. Rochester's more of a small town, small town uh, ballpark. Kind of looks like like a miniature Camden Yards. Kind of it had more of a, like a retro feel. Um, so, what it did have though, it had a concourse an area in the concourse is like a 30 by 30 foot lower area where you can actually set up a ring so they may do they set up the ring in the concourse and there were no seats fans could just sit around if i remember right at that point the rochester red wings ticket takers didn't even care and they weren't even checking people for tickets so at that point people were just walking in if you had a ticket or not so the ring got set up the may do reschedule the card and it it was a show if you want to go ahead and with the with the card because the only things not much were announced for this for this going into it yeah this was just kind of like hey we're going to help you out rochester i mean everything that was announced did happen um and i mean that would make sense because you know uh uh with it being in buffalo the night before so this is one in, in the world of interesting matches <laughs> So Roger Strong defeated Kudo. Those of you who are super fans of Japanese wrestling, yes. Kudo from DDT was randomly at this uh, ballpark brawl, the Rochester Rumble. It, during that time, he was, it looked like he was on an excursion because he did IWA Mid-South, IWC Chikara, NWA Upstate, IWA East Coast, the ballpark brawl, Keystone Championship Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Unplugged. Um, so he was doing some uh east coast like american independence during that summer of uh 2006 so um or 2005 i'm sorry so i found that really interesting kudo because i don't think kudo i think he does like a shot for ccw like seven years later or six years later that's the next time he returns to the united states um and then after that i don't think he ever pops up again uh in the United States. Then we have the Ring Crew Express. Donna Marcos talked about him earlier. Defeated the Backseat Boys, Johnny Cashmere and Trent Acid. We had a three-way dance. Natty Neidhart uh, defeating April Hunter and Jackie Gata. So Gata did losing on this one. Oh, and not mentioned beforehand, the what was originally announced was just Backseat Boys versus Donna Marcos, a women's match. It just said women's match. 21-person battle royal. And also Pierre and McFoley. No, so it's really simple. hard to not deliver on that. Uh, Kamala with Dimchi uh, beating Matt Stryker. Do you did Matt Stryker do a uh, comedy gimmick, uh, an impersonator one for this one? I do remember. I don't remember what he did though. Okay, I remember. I remember a somewhat comedy of him playing something off. Like part of me wants to say it was probably like Savage or something like that. I don't know. It could have been. It could have been The Rock. The he was Rock. Doing the Rock. Yeah, he, yeah, he he did, uh, and actually he did do the Rock at the one the night before in Buffalo, and fully gave him the Sacco. Forgot about that. Uh, and then uh, we had the natural heavyweight title match with special guest referee Mick Foley. He's getting his referee in that weekend. Uh, it was Charlie Haas defeated Harry Smith. Now, 
the ring, there were some ring issues, which I'm going to let you get into detail. But when the ring issued and it looked like it would, they were, you know, not going to continue. Mick said, oh, you'll see this on Monday night someday. <laughs> like, he was just like, and, and a lot of people chimed in talking about the humor of Mick Foley. A lot of the fans were like, yeah. oh, yeah, Mick Foley w- was really just trying to run with it, trying to kind of almost distract the crowd with a stand-up bit yeah. while this was going on. But the ring the ring issues, like I said, there were, there were some issues in previous shows. A lot of times, there was one earlier show where uh, the ring, they bought new wood for the ring but didn't measure it, so we had to find a hacksaw and cut the ring, cut the wood to make it fit. This show, um, the ring padding, anyone who doesn't know a ring, it's, I'm sure you've seen if you've watched WWE and watched scenes where they might remove padding to like slam someone on the wood, like NXT, Gargano and Tommaso have done that spot before. It's like hospital padding, thick padding, foam padding. Uh, this show is using like these weird uh, square blocks of like puzzle pieces that weren't really padding and they had separated to a fact of I'm watching this, we're watching this match and you could see like Foley like moving his foot around, like testing little pieces of the ring where he could tell like padding is starting to separate. So the match happens after the match, Mick Foley grabs a mic. And if I remember right, we weren't supposed to take an intermission, but Mick Foley had called. It was a short card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was also like rained out. We just want to get the show get through. Uh, Foley demanded the intermission and told ring crew, hey, guys, let's fix this ring so no one gets hurt. So there was an impromptu intermission while most of the participants in the next match, the Rochester Rumble, come out and remove the padding, remove the canvas, fix the padding for the next match. And then we have the Rod. By the way, Charlie Haas did retain his natural heavyweight title. Um, and, uh, so that we had the natural heavyweight title, number one contender, 20 man Rochester rumble. And if anyone doesn't know what a Rochester rumble is, those are what legends are made of in local wrestling. A Rochester rumble can also be called a ticket selling rumble. Um, and I'd probably get heat for that, but it's basically, it's a match for a lot of the low card talent to make it on a show. Uh, for the most part. Not but really this here, but Battle like, Royal a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like, in general, it's usually a match where you have a card that's booked with a lot of names. You've got a lot of locals. you got the ring crew guys. You, you have, try to find spots for people. Use a Rochester Rumble. And it's same idea of a Rochester, of a Royal Rumble. You know, it's intervals. Sometimes it's within waves. Like, every five minutes you might – or every few minutes you might have, like, a group of five people. Sort of like a uh, – like a uh, AEW, how they do their uh, their tower, their twenty one man. Yes, yep. With uh, the deck of cards type gimmick, um, it's similar to that. This, uh, yeah, this had some names in it. I'll let you go ahead. Yep. So yeah, it was a uh, the battle royal included homicide. Uh, who did win? Big Cat Lemmer, BCL Brody Lee. You know, as you know him uh, for the uh, Dark Order, uh, Charisma. Which uh, I was told this was actually pro- the last appearance for Charisma, and then he ended up uh, teaming up with uh, where no, the no longer Kid Justice and their rhythm boobs. Yeah, they. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Around this time, they started uh, teaming up there in uh, upstate and local feds. Chris Hero, also known as Cassius Ono, Cody Steele, as we know Cody Diener, Crazy Steve, uh, Impact, Damon Alexander, Derek Wild, Glenn Specter, Hellcat. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, uh, those of you guys uh, may know from uh, his like Chikara and CZW days, um, and uh, John McChesney, Johnny Puma, Kamala, 
Mastiff, Slick Wagner Brown, The Sandman, and TJ Wilson, Tyson Kidd, and Triple X, Ron Falco. So yeah. a very interesting group of guys for this battle royal. Um, yeah. Um, some notes I remember from this, actually talking to Jimmy about it. Um, Sandman uh, was quite intoxicated and mentioned to the locker room about uh, telling people, like, hey, when I get in there, just bump and just feed to me. I'll hit you with a kendo <laughs> stick. And so as soon as he got in there, some of the smart people in the match uh, immediately tossed themselves out. Oh, yeah. I'm not taking that kendo stick. Boom. Get not, out not, after, not after a six-pack. and No. Um, so that is the Rochester. And like I said, this is the only one I did not attend the Rochester rumble in a nutshell. They did not, they did not draw a big crowd and they never returned to Rochester. <laughs> no. Uh, and from what, like I said, like, uh, the, the ticket takers weren't paying attention at that point and just letting people in. So, so it, it's pretty safe to say they didn't make any money off that. Um, but, but, like I said, when there's no game, it's you can't really reschedule the wrestling too. No, yeah. and from from what uh, from what we heard for a later Walmart brawl that also got rained out, or the, the baseball game got rained out, um, a fan on social media commented and said that they didn't get any announcement or any notification that the wrestling was still going to go on. So, so yeah, that hurt the draw. Yeah, so anyone that bought a ticket to see the baseball game. That wanted that bought the ticket for the baseball game to see wrestling. They heard baseball was canceled. They didn't even bother showing up, thinking, "Oh, the wrestling would be rescheduled," not knowing wrestling was rain or shine. So, yeah, that's going to hurt the draw too. So now we move on to 2006. And before we do, I kind of want to make a note of things going on here. So we had one ballpark brawl in 2003. We had two ballpark brawls in 2004. We had three ballpark brawls in 2005. In 06, we had one ballpark brawl. We're kind of going back to just the one a year format. I wonder if a lot of money was lost in Rochester. I, I think think so. I'm pretty confident. I also remember. I mean, yeah, they like could have lost one, money on the, 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 one, the one in Buffalo, too. Yeah, like the first, the first three did really well just because the first four actually did pretty well because, like, there was no. Uh, there was a baseball game beforehand, so you're drawing that crowd. And I remember at that time feeling like, all right, five, you're kind of getting a little cocky here, doing it with no game. Um, or four, I mean. You're doing it with, with no baseball game beforehand. You're kind of kind of tempting fate here. I think they were trying – I think really trying to ex- overextend themselves. And, yeah, by – by the time we get to 2006, Buffalo Row 7, we are down to just one. And I believe this one is on a Sunday with no baseball game, so Sunday afternoon, with a pre-show starting at 2 p.m., main show at 4 p.m. And uh, Which they didn't do that uh, Sunday thing ever since the first one. So yeah. now they're back to one a year on a Sunday. Um, so we'll kind of, what was, there was supposed to be a pre-show as you said. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, get into that. So the night before the ballpark brawl, there is the annual NWA upstate, upstate eight tag team tournament, 
which every year up to this point, 2004, 2005, 2006, uh, UPW out of Rochester would do a tag team tournament, an eight-man or eight-team tag team tournament, sort of like their big King of Trios type uh, tournament. And they had big names in previous years. So this year, they ran the tournament, uh, and they kind of shared some names. So they uh, piggybacked off it. You had Sterling James Keenan, the current Corey Graves, McChesney, who's also regular at Upstate at that time. You had Chris Hero. You had the Backseat Boys, uh, who's at this time the new Backseat Boys, Trent Acid and Teddy Fine, who weren't really officially a new tag team. It was basically Teddy Fine was the unofficial third member of the Backseat Boys. So any show where one of them couldn't make it, Teddy Fine would be the replacement. And then you also had Ruckus and Teddy Hart. Uh, winning team was the was Dunamargos going over Rhythm and Booze. So I uh, just wanted to point out the tournament and that how several guys uh, that upstate piggybacked off the brawl shared a few names. Weren't bringing that up because that's very important as uh, it was also the upstate ring and the pre-show for the next night started at 2 p.m. Now, anyone that any fan or worker from the Buffalo Rochester area over the last 15 years realizes that after parties are a big thing here. Especially in Rochester when we had a bar named Woody's, uh, Woody's 2, and that was the after-party spot. So I was not living in Rochester at this time. I was still living in Buffalo, within the Buffalo metropolitan region. And I remember getting to the ballpark around noon, and I was... I was working for the competition from Upstate, so I wasn't at the Upstate show. But I get there, I get to the ballpark at noon, no ring. One o'clock comes, no ring. Two o'clock comes, no ring. I want to say it was more quarter to three, to three, two forty-five, three-ish that the ring did show up, and the response I heard was, they, the driver of the ring truck, uh, didn't know that there was any low bridges. So they had to detour around the city of Buffalo. Now, anyone that's been to the ballpark in Buffalo realizes the expressway is expressway runs right across the street from the ballpark. There is no low bridges. Obviously, obviously the after party went a little late the night before, and nobody wanted to be up at eight in the morning to do ring crew. Understandable, but either way. Uh, yeah, there was a heavily advertised pre-show starting at 2, main show at 4, with actual matches announced for the pre-show that didn't happen. So, if you the pre-show the pre matches that were supposed to happen, TJ Harley versus Crazy Steve versus Derek Duncan versus Eric Everlast versus Mastiff versus Johnny Puma. We also see New Vision Pro tag titles, uh, Italianos versus Rhythm and Booze, uh, and then we were all supposed to have a Young Lions match, Phil Atlas versus John McChesney, who are very similar in look and wrestling skill ability. And I believe what that was, yeah, this, this pre-show was basically a, it was supposed to be a local showcase. Yeah. You had, like, the sixth man was advertised as a New Vision Pro versus NWA Empire versus NWA Upstate Futures six-man elimination match. And where I believe... Uh, I believe the winner might have might be going on to a match later on the main card. 
Um, New Vision Pro was a Fed that was around for about two years this time. Uh, I believe I refed their first show, one of their first unofficial like outdoor shows back at back in the day. Um, I believe I believe it was Jay Moore's Fed. Uh, Endyberry Empire was actually ESW morphed in Empire with a new with Hellcat running it. And then Upstate. So you had a mixture of all of them in there. New Vision Pro tag team match. Obviously, it speaks for itself. And then the Phil Atlas, John McChesney was advertised as title for title. You had Phil Atlas as the uh, New Vision Pro, New Vision Pride champion. And McChesney was the uh, NWA Upstate No Limits champion. Both were very similar to like an X Division title. And the stipulation here was the winner would get both belts and the each fed each fed had agreed to book whoever won as their champion going forward now obviously none of these matches happened um if anyone is listening that does remember atlas mcchesney happening please let us know because i did get i did hear from one uh one of my friends one of my roommates that could have swore that this match did happen but i don't recall and I can't see any results. I can uh, shoot a text to McChesney after this. We won't know for the, but I mean, we'll, we'll let people know on social media. I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, this match uh, did happen, but it obviously didn't happen at the ballpark brawl. Um, also announced was tag team turmoil backseat boys versus SATs versus Brody Lee and Sterling James Keenan also known as Corey Graves, versus the Upstate 8 winners. Now, interesting fact about this. I found a press release that was notated 135 on August 26, 2006, just added the SATs. Guess who didn't show up to the show? SATs. <laughs> Literally the day before at 1 in the afternoon, they're, they're going to be here, and they weren't there. Um also advertised uh, was Daisy Hayes and Cherry Bomb versus uh, TNA. So that was uh, Talia um, and uh, oh, what's the name? Uh, April Hunter, um, which Talia we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, Claudio versus Cole Cabana. Monty Brown versus a mystery opponent. Chris Hero versus Milana Clutch and AT, who was doing his excursion at the time. Uh, versus Delirious versus Phil Atlas, John McChesney winner. So that was supposed to be in this too. Versus Big Cat versus Question Mark. You had Samoa Joe versus Steve Carino. Uh, Christopher Daniels versus Teddy Hart, and then also appearing the uh, natural heavyweight title, Ring of Honor title uh, winners versus Danielson, McGinnis, and Cole Cabana, also appearing Sergeant Slaughter and Low Key. So let's get into what actually happened. So let me, uh, yeah, I just want to break it down there. As you said, like natural heavyweight title tournament, Charlie Haas is no longer the champion. He uh, he went back to WWE, which yep. I didn't initially remember his second run in WWE. Uh, I had to look it up, but I, I do because McMahon millions because he would like fi- help fix the phone and stuff. <laughs> like that's how I remember it. So yeah, so he's no longer champion. So they came up with a one night tournament of Joe and Carino and then Christopher Daniels and Teddy Hart, and then also in the press release it was very weird. It claimed that the Ring of Honor Ring of Honor Championship would also be on the line where the winner of that single-night tournament will face either Brian Danielson, Nigel McGinnis, or Cole Cabana with the Ring of Honor title also suspended on a, on a foul pole with the natural heavyweight title. Now, I did some research, realizing this was on a Sunday. Uh, that Friday was a Ring of Honor show 
where Brian Danielson was defending the belt against Nigel McGuinness. That Saturday, Brian Danielson was defending against Cole Cabana. So, obviously, if they were going to do this, Gabe wasn't going to tell Chris Hill who's going to win the title. So they had to throw up both. But from all intents and purposes, everything I've seen, all the people I've talked to, nobody remembers this, and no one remembers Danielson and McGinnis actually being booked. Neither of them were on the show. I Cole don't. I don't remember. I don't remember it. I remember. So, I remember their buzz of Daniel Bryan. Yeah, but like obviously the press releases are out there saying like both titles are going to be on the line. So I, I, I feel confident saying chalking this up to Chris Hill just announcing something without knowing it and probably expecting. Oh, Brett, Daniel Bryan, we'll, we'll just put the Ring of Honor belt. We'll put the National Heavyweight title on whoever the Ring of Honor champion is. Yeah, to get the piggyback the buzz. Yeah. Um. This was also the one where Sergeant Slaughter was a special guest uh, on this show. So let's get right into it. We had a six-way. Ruckus defeated Big Cat Lemmer, Chris Hero, Delirious, J.D. Michaels. A Canadian guy, very odd <laughs> name to pop up there. Uh, not an Ontario guy either. Like, a El- like I, I want to say Calgary guy. And then John McChesney. Um, so, yeah, so Milano, he probably came with Teddy. Milano Collection 18 was supposed to be in this match. I did realize or i did ask and find out as the nwa upstate show the night before you had in the tag team tournament you had marcos and you had donna marcos was supposed to work chris hero and milano collection at he could not get in the states he was still so working in mexico from what i what i heard because he was doing the excursion at this time so he must have yeah. went to mexico and couldn't get back in because I remember this either, was his way, he excursion. Missed, he missed the entire weekend. So on that tournament, Hero was he was replaced by Chip Stetson. So the tag team of Chip Stetson <laughs> and Chris Hero. I never thought that existed. Nope, it, it exists. Um, so yeah, he was taken out of the match. Ruckus thrown in that match. Um, so then we had Samojo defeated Steve Carino, which was a great match. Um, which actually on this match, Turnbuckle Talk was a thing at this point, and we were actually uh, allowed to do some press. Uh, media stuff and uh, we actually uh, Ivan and Paler snuck us backstage to get some interview spots and stuff but uh, I do remember this being a thing or actually was it the next one no it's the next one uh, with Steve Carino which a cool little thing we did um, we had Teddy Hart defeating Ruckus so let's uh, let's just say that it was supposed to be a uh, it was supposed to be Teddy Hart versus Christopher Daniels yep. and uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of line here I've asked several people for this and i was told the the christopher daniels line was if he was going to work twice then he needed to be paid twice so he was taken out of the match for the taken out of the tournament and it was teddy Hart defeating ruckus with uh and i don't believe that was even no that wasn't even uh a tournament match was it nope it was just teddy Hart versus ruckus yeah so um, so they did so we had one uh, tournament match of Smojo and Steve Carino with the winner going on to the natural heavyweight title tournament tournament main final match for for final pole match and then uh yeah and then yeah only that was one only one uh the inconsistency of the yeah. the, the the title was very interesting um only we, one qualifying match maybe. yeah yeah we had the new backseat boys 
the Utah Teddy Fine was had to replace Johnny Cashmere and Trent Acid defeating Brody Lee and Sterling James Keenan and Corey Graves, uh, and the uh, uh, roadies, you know, Ring Crew Express, Dun and Marcos, and Up in Smoke, Cheech and Cloudy. Yeah, Dun and Marcos were the Upstate Eight winners, so they got the match as was previous announced. Up in Smoke got thrown in, obviously, as a replacement for the SATs, but although they did not win the Upstate Eight tournament, so they've just was. They just got the match without winning anything. Well, remember, the SATs were announced the day before, just added. <laughs> uh, Chip Stetson and uh, our special guest referee, Chip Stetson, sorry. Cole Cabana defeated Claudio Castanoli, and this was when they had the three judges, right? No, so, no, no. That's uh, the next one. Oh, that's the next one. Oh, no, yeah, that's delirious. That's European rules. Yeah, see, I always mix these two together in it's, my I mind. I think it's more of just Claudio just... Whatever's going to pop Claudio at that time. Yeah. I do remember buying a Coca Banner shirt at this, so being American getting that. Uh, we had uh, Jamie D and Jennifer Blake as a special guest referees and two special referees in a women's tag match. April Hunter and Talia Madison. Talia Madison would go on to become Velvet Sky. Velvet Sky. And then defeated Cherry Bomb, who would go on to become Allie. Allie. And Daisy Hayes by DQ. So, very cool match. Uh, that happened in women's wrestling history here in Buffalo. Daisy Hayes, if you're listening, you're probably not. Please come back to wrestling. <laughs> we miss you. Uh, we also had Monty Brown defeating Matt Morgan, who was managed by Hellcat. Uh, Hellcat Matt- moved on from managing Abyss to managing Matt Morgan at this point. Uh, Monty Brown, first off, it was so great to see him because at that time I was a huge Monty Brown fan. But also... he's He has some Buffalo... Uh, he has history in Buffalo. Matt Morgan... So I remember us going to the after party, and I and I go to Matt Morgan. Hey, I have a wrestling talk radio show. We're on a college radio station. Would you mind being a guest? He goes, sure. He's like, when would you? I'm whatever. He goes, how about tomorrow night? And I'm like, okay. And then Matt, we interviewed Matt Morgan that next night, and then we had him on like a handful of times after that. Like, and now he, he does wrestling talk radio pretty much raw recaps. Oh, he's, he's great guy. Yeah. So like, um, re- really cool. Uh, and then the natural heavyweight title. Uh, on a foul, foul pole, four quarters match, uh, Samoa, which I think it was the first time they ever really used the foul pole in wrestling. Uh, Samoa Joe defeated Christopher Daniels, Homicide, and Low Key, which that's a pretty awesome lineup of a match. There. Yeah, but it was just the inconsistency of the tournament, which obviously yep. they wanted Joe and Daniels with the way it worked out. Daniels just got moved in that match. And then Homicide and Low Key just got added. No, no reason. Just throw them in there. Yeah, the, why not? Um, so, I mean, this is the second last ballpark brawl. I liked it. Not in my top three. Um, you know, I loved Joe and Carino, though. That's my type of match. Also, Ruckus was somebody you didn't see in this area. So, yeah, it was really neat. My, to, to my see personal Ruckus. connection to this was obviously Ring Crew. Um, I was backstage for this show. Um, I remember, remember standing next to the lineup sheet uh, along with a few others, a few other hopefuls that were hoping for an extra spot. Um, Brandon Thurston, Chris Cooper being two of them, local talent. Um, and I remember catering. It was really, really nice catering. And I don't feel embarrassed to be to say that I see uh, local, local referee Dusty Taker uh, walk in there walk up to catering and just make his own sandwich. So my mind, I'm like, well, if Dusty's grabbing a sandwich, so were I. And I grabbed a sandwich. And I, a few other locals who remained nameless did the same thing. We went and walked into, like, a side room where we th- think, like, oh, we're going to sit here and just eat and not be bothered. 
And all of a sudden, Sergeant Slaughter walks in, sits down with us, starts chatting with us. And I remember a story he told us that uh, he was running late to get there because he was hassled at TSA. And a local wrestler asked him, was like, man, you're an American hero. How how dare TSA stop you and think you're a terrorist? And I remember Slaughter make a comment like, ah, oh, they must have been a fan from 1991. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get into the last ballpark brawl, I want to... It's this is going to be wordy, but this has to be read because it, it it's interesting. It ends up being the last brawl. So Dave Hillhouse from Slam Magazine uh, or Slam Wrestling on, on August twenty eighth, two thousand seven, uh, wrote a article. Um, well, he put out an article with Chris Hill, uh, but it was actually released after the show after the last ballpark brawl. <laughs> yeah, or a, after the last ballpark brawl. Um, but this is where it goes. He goes. It's Thursday, and there's a big outdoor wrestling show about to go on at Buffalo's Dunterre Park, but it's raining. Okay, so this must have been a day. Uh, okay, so, oh, that's right. They pushed the events back, trying to put two and two together. So this article looks like it was like written that day of um, when everything going on. But I just have to read the article, and we'll talk about it after. Uh, it's Thursday, and there's a big outdoor wrestling show about to go on at Buffalo's Dunterre Park, but it's raining. For a writer, that's not a bad thing. On the promoter, local wrestler, and a legend has some time to kill chatting with slam magazine or slam wrestling while, while waiting for the rain to stop on August 23rd, it's ballpark brawl. Uh, eight pushed their events back due to a rain delay promoter. Chris Hill instead provided an impromptu state of the union dress regarding independent wrestling. Okay. So this is written the day out. This is a recap. I don't, should we go to the results and then let me read this? I'm trying yeah, to think. Yeah, we'll go to the results. Cause the way it was like worded and released. Sorry. So we'll go over the, we'll go over the results so, and all that. Yeah, and then I just want Start off by saying, like, there was a baseball game against the Pawtucket Red Sox. Got rained out. This was also during the time, like I said earlier, uh, that the brawl really tried to help a lot of local independent wrestling promotions where if you ran a local promotion or even, like, a local radio show, because like Monday Night Mayhem had a table, where uh, they would give you a vendor table in the concourse. And you had Upstate had a table. You had, I think, OSPW had a table. Um NEW, uh, that I was working for at that time, had a table. So um, I remember having a table, sitting there, and just waiting out the downpour. And at the time, the dark match, the pre-show at this time, was supposed to be set up outside the ballpark on the street corner, on Swan Street. So so any fans that were walking into the ballpark could watch the wrestling. Anyone driving by could watch wrestling. And the ring is set up out there with just the frame, just the wood, getting soaked in the downpour for, like, a good two hours before the show. And we're looking out the window at this as we're all in, inside, and we're like, yep, that's, that's not good. So the decision is finally made to cancel the game, to postpone the baseball game. But as we mentioned earlier... You can't really reschedule pro wrestling. You just have to go. So we waited and waited and waited. Eventually, someone's idea was, well, we have to, we're going to move the ring inside. Instead of being on home plate, we're going to move it more towards right field. So finally get set up. And ticket deal, the, everything with tickets was kind of haphazard, where I remember some people that paid top dollar for ringside 
were kind of upset because it just turned into all right, fans just grab a chair from anywhere. Yep, just, I remember it. And just that anywhere you want to sit. And there were like people that weren't even, didn't even pay; they were just sitting up front. And yeah, it started a lot later, and there was still they still got some of the dark matches. Some of the dark matches still happen, so I'll let you uh, take yeah, over. Well, we'll say well, the, what was supposed to happen, this was what was announced. Young Lions match, Extremo versus Jimmy Olsen. Uh, tag Turmoil, Devin Moore and Detox versus Brody Lee and Mystery Opponents, uh, or Mystery Partners. Uh, Claudio versus Delirious and European Rules. Six-man scramble, El Generico, Sterling James Keenan, John McChesney, Davey Richards, the Young Lions winner in question mark. Uh, Ruckus versus Matt Cross. Uh, Joey Matthews versus Two Gold Scorpio, a women's match, Gail Kim versus Tracy Books versus Kelly Couture, a hair versus hair versus mullet, Bruce DeBar Beefcake versus Cody Dina versus Johnny Puma, uh, and Samoa Joe versus Rikishi. Rikishi being the big name for this this event. There were supposed to be some other big names. Well, Kishi just left WWE, yep. so he was hot off there. But, yeah, I'll let you go on with the May other. Young and Fabulous Moolah were supposed to be there, and they had to cancel. Uh, and Slick was there as well. But Doctor of Style Slick. That's like Wendell Brown. If you put Rikishi in the same thing as Slaughter, Rhodes, Piper, Foley, it, 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 Bret Hart, it's no comparison. No, he's, he's not a legend. I think he was definitely he was definitely known. He was definitely a name. It's He's... He's much cheaper at this point, so I think they're just they were trying to cut down on costs from everything I've seen, especially when you look at the amount of locals that got booked on the show. Yes, over indie top indie names. Um, we'll kind of get into it. So there was a dark ten man battle well, royal. When we say dark, they were the pre show and yes. just got moved. They were not a. I, I hate when indie wrestling does this. It's not dark matches. It was just part of the card. But these were supposed to be pre-show matches. Pre-show, they, got, yeah. they all got moved to the main card. Well, we had a battle royal where Jake O'Reilly defeated Rip Impact, J-Rock, Dusty Taker, uh, Eric Everlast, Gabe Saint, Glenn Dillon, Jamie D, Primo Scordino, and Stickball. So very interesting group of nah, wrestlers I'm, there. I'm, I'm sorry. Glenn Dillon, nice guy. <laughs> he always a psychic medium now. Yeah, I know. Nice guy. Could be one of the worst wrestlers <laughs> oh, in that's... Western New York wrestling. Uh, the views of Jonathan Nash are not those of rediscovering the Indies and Chris Gello. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Glenn's, a ni- Glenn's a nice guy. I've I've known Glenn for fifteen years, more than fifteen years. Like he's always been a nice guy. But you look at it like I don't. He doesn't wrestle curly, so maybe he finally realized. Yeah, I don't think like uh, we, he, he 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 was good on the mic. He could get heat. But I'm surprised we haven't heard from him because like he's a psychic medium, so he probably all would have known you would have buried him on this uh, uh, for his wrestling skills. <laughs> so. there, there are times he he could be a good brother, but still, like if and, you and fans out there want to YouTube Glenn Dillon, you come up with your own opinion. And, and the same thing with Dusty Taker. Like, come on, <laughs> like it's... we got to move out of the breach. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm glad J Rock got a spot. Yes, give it a one time. And and, and, and Rip Impact deserves. Yeah, I love Rip, Rip Impact. Rip's a great guy. Yeah. All right, Cody Deaner and Crystal Banks. Beat Cody forty five and Sarah Del Rey. I don't remember Cody forty five that much. Um, uh, then we had Extremo defeating uh, Kevin Dunn, um, which originally was supposed to be Jimmy Olsen. Then we had Matt Cross. So this is technically the main show. Matt Cross defeating Ruckus. Really fun match. Uh, the Hair vs. Hair vs. Mullet Triple Threat. Brutus the Barber Beefcake defeated Cody Deaner and Johnny Puma. So. I want to talk about my wonderful Bruce the Beefcake story as far as the after show. So we got into the after party uh, 
Turnbuckle Talk. We did a lot of cool stuff, and I'll kind of the thing we did with Carino. Um, but we we were doing spots. We were just hanging out at the after party, too. And I saw Brutus the Barber Beefcake. The, you have Rikishi talking to a girl. Brutus the Barber Beefcake tries to, I mean, for, for lack of a better word, cock block Rikishi and does like one of those like stands in front of him and like tries to talk to the girl. And Rikishi just stares at him with fire. <laughs> and then you see Beefcake, he moves away, he moves away. He like tries to go towards Samoa Joe. I don't remember Samoa Joe was talking about, but Samoa Joe just kind of gives him a look. So then he bounces and he sees Tracy Brooks. And she literally, he comes up, he starts talking to her. She just walks away from him. <laughs> so man, Brutus the Barber Beefcake at an after party is uh, not a fun time. <laughs> not, not a fun time at all. Um, I also want to say this might have been the match that Johnny Puma announces retirement after. <laughs> there was a ballpark brawl. I'm pretty sure it was this show. Where I just laughed like afterwards, and he just wrestled said, like, for another 11 years. He's he's still wrestling. Yeah. Wait till Southern Tier comes back. He's still wrestling. No. But yeah, he uh, he grabbed his mic and like uh, did a farewell speech. And but obviously, like he wrestled the next month. Still, he wrestled Pepper Parks a month later. So. <laughs> Long retirement. <laughs> Uh, we had a uh, six-way elimination. Sterling James Keating, Corey Graves, defeated El Generico, John McChesney, Pac, yeah, uh, uh, Neville, uh, Trent Acid, and Extremo. Um, Extremo, he was a Canadian guy, right? Yes. Really nice guy. Yeah, he was He was out there working. He worked some upstate shows at that time, too. He was starting to get I think he even made there. his way down to IWC at one point, too. Could be wrong on that. Uh, European rules match. Uh, you, so you, here's the judges. Slick Wagner Brown. No, uh, Dr. Styles. There's too many slicks. Dr. Styles, like who managed uh, back in the day. He managed the famous Akeem, the African dream. Uh, Jamie D. And then the big mosh. I came upon it from Monday Night Mayhem. I came upon a video on YouTube this morning where they're like, and their next judge, Big Mosh from Monday Night Mayhem, and he got booed so loudly. I think I might have been the only one just clapping, <laughs> doing it ironically, and hooting and hollering at him. <laughs> he got booed. That was, I think that was a long time coming because, uh, like I said, like I was the producer for Monday Night Mayhem, and there was a time in 2004, 2005, when we had a weekly segment on Monday Night Mayhem with Chris Hill and where Mosh would interview him. And it was Mosh just wanted a spot to do something on a brawl. So he threw as much goodwill towards Chris Hill as he could just to try to get a spot. And this is obviously, this is two years later after I left the show uh, that Mosh finally got a chance and basically is a replacement for, the, for May, Mula and May Young. Um, so we had, uh, yeah. So we had, so we had the European rules with those three judges. Interesting three judges, to be honest with you. Uh, and then Claudio did defeat Delirious. It was really fun seeing Delirious live. Uh, you had uh, tag team uh, table turmoil. Ricky Reyes and uh, Steve Carino um, beat Big Cat Lemmer, BCL, and Birdie Lee, as well as Detox and Devin Moore. So I had a minor involvement with this match pre pre in the business. So. Carino realized, if you've ever gone to a Buffalo Bisons game, those of you listening locally, there's a super fan named Mark. All right, 
he 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 is he he is mentally handicapped, but really fun guy. And he he does these like noises and this and that. And Carino wanted to utilize him. And Carino knew if he came out being a heel, Mark was gonna go at him. But like I don't know who pulled. I don't know if Ivan. I'm pretty sure it was Ivan suggested us or whatever. But somebody told us, hey, listen, we want you to hang out near Mark. Carino's gonna take his hat. We need you to kind of call him down to make sure he doesn't like lunge at Carino. Like so, like Steve Carino comes out there. He's like, and and he takes Mark's Bison's hat, and Mark loses it. We're just like, it's okay, man. Like we're just like trying to hold him back. For like lunging and trying to kill Steve Carino, and then eventually gave the hat back to Carino. And uh, the Carino, I think, like gave him some stuff after the show. Me gave him some WBNY to we'll talk up too. But uh, it was it was it was a kind of fun little thing. Oh, Carino's heat at that time was amazing. oh yeah, that was a fun little thing to do at, um, at that time. Uh, and then you could see Mark on Toronto Blue Jays games. He's right there. His <laughs> cardboard cutout. Uh, so then. Um, it was special referee Jennifer Blake who she did a lot of special referee for women's matches. Yeah, uh, that shirt. Which she was a, a good women's wrestler though. <laughs> like they never used her in a match. Uh, it was Gail Kim and Kelly Couture who kind of fell off the face of the earth, huh? Like I couldn't find much about her. Uh, yeah. Late, recently defeated Sarah Del Rey and Tracy Brooks. Um, then we had the PWE Heavyweight Title, which was made a PWE Heavyweight Championship from a phone call from Todd Gordon to Christopher Hill. I remember Christopher Hill and I I just got off the phone with Todd Gordon. It's a heavyweight title match. PWU had a lot of influence on this show, if you look at the names. Uh, Where two gold Scorpio defeated Joey Matthews. And then the three-way main event, which it was supposed to be be. Rikishi versus Samoa Joe. It's supposed to be like the Battle of Samoans. And then... Yeah, discussion of certain people not being able, contractually able, to job out to other people. Some people not wanting to... And we'll just leave it at that. But there was a uh, – they had to find an out, and the out was uh, Sterling James Keenan in the main event. So Keenan would either be – so the Keenan would be involved in the finish. Uh, if you – I think, yeah, they started kind of like an old-school match, and then Keenan comes out cutting a promo, and, you know, I won that, that qualifier match. That's how it happened. Um, and Sterling James Keenan defeated Rikishi and Samoa Joe. Do you remember how he defeated? It was very. I'll let you tell the story because I remember that being a little bit of controversy when we put it on the Facebook post. Uh, Sterling James Keenan won the match by countout and won the <laughs> title, title change. <laughs> Rikishi and Samoa Joe got counted out, and Sterling James Keenan, the cur- current Corey Graves, won the title by countout. And he uh, he became the champion. He's the last natural heavyweight champion. Um, and then in November 13, 2016, Corey Grace put this Twitter out. I was once the wrestling champion of the baseball stadium in Buffalo, New York, at Samoa Joe. <laughs> so, dude, Unfortunately, Samoa he Joe. does not still have the title belt. We were able to confirm that Chris Hill does have it. And it's... Yeah, I was I wondering if it was going to be a collector's belt somewhere, but Chris here, from what I understand, it's it. sitting on his fireplace mantle in his house in Texas. From what I was told, so to this interview, and we'll kind of recap this last brawl. Um, but uh, to this interview that, that I did pull up here, so um, I, I won't read the beginning again, but it was uh, 
it was like this edition of the Brawl was supposed to feature a three-match pre-game event starting at noon with the Buffalo Bisons, AAA Philadelphia Cleveland Indians. I'll skip over some of the stuff we already know. And almost er, So here's Hill. At almost every show, we had the threat of rain. Looking outside of the late drizzle around noon, we're an outdoor show, so you just roll with it. What he had to roll with was the late drizzle was the aftermath of a massive downpour that had, without question, delayed the show and was threatening to throw off the whole afternoon. He said the Brawl will be fine. <laughs> The question mark is the baseball game, which is imp- very pretty important. And the pre-show, Hill is being a little uh, fetishious about uh, the importance of the ball game. It represents his pain job. <laughs> he, he, and then they say he was in a marketing. Yeah, we. Yeah, and I, I don't think we've we've hit that home too. That like Chris Hill was the marketing director of the Buffalo Bison, yes. so that was his full time job. His yeah, he was in charge of all of the special events going on at the at the ballpark. We'd be okay with six, eight hours of light rain, but once thunder and lightning appear, the show stops just like Little League rules. So with a little time of chat, we ask, are there any last-minute changes? And he goes, always. <laughs> he said, then he paused at the slightest expiration of his voice. And he goes, in my real job, I deal with professionals, he began. I fully understand why independent wrestling doesn't get any bigger. You get, got to be professional about these things and develop your product. Most people in the business will be professional until they can find a way to make an extra 50 bucks. This is Chris Hill shooting on independent wrestling about, about for he's about to do the ballpark brawl. I, I, I think a lot of the guys got him, got him for a lot more than 50 yes. bucks. Uh, Hill is in a position to draw from a wide range of promotions from anywhere he so he chooses. Having worked with so many different promoters, Hill respects the professionalism ingrained into WWE wrestlers, past or present, above all. For the most part, I love working with the WWE wrestlers because they get it. He explained, today, for instance, Kishi calls me just to say he's on his flight. That's professionalism. The most important thing is to know where everyone is, especially he noted about a rain delay. Um See, uh, two, two local wrestlers, Primo and Stickball, the Italianos, arrived on time in a professional manner. Of course, they only had to make a quick drive over the bridge. They also got caught up by rain, uh, as they're supposed to be part of the brawl. All right, so they kind of interview Primo and stuff. Don't have to really go on that. Um, but, uh, all right, so so it, I just got to always say more Chris Hill stuff. Back with Hill. <laughs> he acknowledged how important it is to reach a wide market, especially to a show that has to remind the masses every year that it's running. Today, people are really interested in the ballpark brawl. He said as he explained the impact the brawl has had on a year-to-year basis. Tomorrow, they'll be really interested to see what happened. Two weeks ago, people were sort of interested, and it fades out from there. Uh, the trick, Hill said, is to focus on the wrestling. He wants people to remember the matches in one particular way. He again addresses what he considers to be major issues holding independent wrestling back. We stay away from the carny atmosphere or signing autographs, shaking fans down for money, he explained. What I don't see is talent understanding is that kind of stuff hurts the business. When a wrestler is trying to get that five extra dollars is trying to sell a Polaroid. I understand that they're trying to put food on the table, but it should be about what you do in the ring. You don't see WWE guys doing that, and it makes them look like a bigger deal. He returned again to his refrain, professionalism. Um, they, they interviewed uh, how, Slick on this. How, how, many, how, many base, how many baseball players will go sign autographs for $5? Yeah. I, uh, um, uh, as Hill keeps trying to uh, keeps talking passionately and earnestly about what it takes to stand out, the question was raised to Hill: Does this mean that he would like to do more shows, perhaps run a promotion? <laughs> I've been approached about it, but this isn't my life. He said, "I really only do this for fun." But I do believe there needs to be a lot more business savvy people in the independent business for it to expand. He has even pitched a concept of ballpark for all the companies looking to do something different than a traditional house show. 
Nobody makes more money on house shows anymore with salaries uh, with the salaries wrestlers are making, which is why you don't see much of it anymore. Someone should team up with minor league baseball teams, hockey teams, and instead going to arena, you go into a big stadium and, and the local team promotes the heck out of you. And uh, and then pretty much, you know, that's it. Like, I, I skipped over some stuff, but the writing was on the wall. You could tell Hill was never going to do this ever again with yeah. that article. And, 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 like, when Slam put that out, you could tell. Uh, he was just burned out. Um, I think independent wrestling got to him uh, dealing with those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And from everything I've heard from other people that have worked there closely and just seeing the changes where I could see, like, he was stressed out. Like I said, like, the, the little amount of time that I was backstage around – him for this uh you could tell he was stressed so like it's understandable and like i'm don't think it's a wild accusation to say like a lot of these top indie guys took advantage of him oh yeah i mean it was probably a better payday than they were getting in most places because even like ring of honor mid-south ccw they weren't paying well it was just the exposure you got a common knowledge in the business at that time that we heard from tna guys where if you got approached for the ballpark brawl up your rate three times now i don't know i can't say everyone did that i obviously didn't handle pay i just know like that was being talked about and went around the business um before we just kind of recap the brawls and its legacy uh this brawl specifically the finish was wacky it was probably my second least favorite after the first one um, I mean, it was good to see all the local talent, but it was kind of all over the place. And yeah. you could tell there was a panic and and an order organized and the rain delay and just all those issues. We uh, we obtained a copy of the format sheet for this brawl from, from a mutual friend. And looking at it and looking at what happened, surprisingly, there wasn't much changes from what was printed on the card. Now, that the format sheet, might, I believe, was printed the night before. Yeah. Um, so... Granted, there was no changes from the night before. It doesn't really mean much, but yeah, everything pretty much stayed the same. There wasn't any. There wasn't much change during the actual day of the show where uh, talent going up to him, going up to Chris Hill or Dan Murphy or Jay Moore or any other other uh, office members at that time, and trying to get things changed or debating back and forth on finishes or issues. So, I mean, there you have it, folks, and uh, that was the last ballpark brawl, and they have not run one since 2007, eight events, and and that was it. Um, but like, yeah, and a, he was right on the money, though, with that house show idea. Yeah. TNA would survive a while doing yeah, the base TNA, brawls, and they were TNA here did, with Hulk Hogan and Scott Steiner. I say like TNA Kurt did Angle, at least too. two in Buffalo Yeah, later in later years, and then they went out, did that. Um, Jared did that with Global Force Wrestling. I'm surprised nobody's doing it right. Well, obviously you couldn't do it this year with the pandemic and everything, but it'll be intriguing to see like companies try that or bring up honor an impact and an MLW, the smaller companies, I mean, that may be a good way for them to go. The Rochester Red Wings uh, have done a pro wrestling, pro wrestling night the last two years um, and loosely affiliated with ESW on those and uh, just tried to do something. And I know they've wanted to do something more going into there so you know things things happen and i'd like to see the bisons do something again i know they did like yeah. a legends of the odd thing a few years ago but yeah they did the uh the riverworks uh yeah. show where we we ran a uh they had like all the guys for like f- f- wrestling night it was on the friday night yeah. Yeah. yeah so there wasn't actual matches but there were yeah like autographs and, yeah. and theme stuff and, and, then, and then guys a, came uh, out to like hogan music and stuff I yeah remember. yeah and then a wrestling show happened the next night at at the at riverworks um, with a lot of the names. Um, 
So for being somebody who was in his later years of high school and then his first few years of college and then getting involved in wrestling talk radio in that college area, I could tell you that I wouldn't be doing this show right now if it wasn't for the ballpark brawls because I had absolutely no idea that independent wrestling existed like this. Like you knew a little bit like, oh, where is this guy? Oh, this guy. Where's Raven? Oh, he's in a company called Ring of Honor. And they got start like, but 2003. I had absolutely no 2004, no knowledge yeah. of, of of these guys and independent wrestling and all that. And then that got me to start reading sports and leisure magazine. And it just uh, like, and then I was going, I went to that uh, independent wrestling show in a barn in Batavia. And then I started getting really interested in being a business. And then here we are in 2020. So for me, the ballpark brawls were really good. Um, I think they have a legacy as far as, maybe fast tracking independent wrestling to be a little bit better in the area as far as, Hey, you can bring in names. That's what really draws. It's not just all local guys. And you really see kind of the spirit of ballpark brawl in ESW today. You see, it still works. It's a little bit for everybody, you know, ESW empire state wrestling knows you like, you'll see some legends. You'll also see some great local guys. You also see some super indie guys. It's that mix of of stuff which they really transgress in a ballpark brawl, and I think you see it yeah. with Empire State Wrestling carrying the legacy. Yeah, as you said, the ballpark brawl was really unique in the 2000s that no one else was really doing those, and didn't really get much press outside. When I'm looking, when I was going through the Observer, it was shocking. Like Meltzer really never covered it. Uh, Brian Alvarez didn't really cover it, so it was pretty isolated here. But locally, yeah, it's you're hard pressed to find a fan that didn't attend a ballpark brawl. Like to this day, you ask, a, you ask a current indie fan in Buffalo or Rochester, like, "Hey, remember the ballpark brawls?" And you're gonna get stories about it. Like they were the thing. They were like our WrestleManias. Yeah, for those few years here, it, it, it was just an absolute blast. And I was also a baseball fan, so it was just it was two things in one for me. Um, so yeah, that was the ballpark brawls. If you have any uh, feedback, like I said, RTI Pod on Twitter, uh, Instagram is Rediscovering Indies, Facebook Rediscovering the Indies. Um, we also have rediscovering in these at gmail.com. If you want to email us, uh, as well, uh, if you have any stories, if you went to the bone, yeah, have any stories, like comment on social media, let us know. Um, so, uh, it has been fun and I'm really looking forward to, you haven't officially agreed to this, but we're doing it anyways. I guess I don't have a So, um, we're planning for our next episode to drop before Halloween, which it should, and it's going to be the rise and fall. Of Blackcraft Wrestling. There was just recently a documentary about Blackcraft that left a lot of things out. And I think we're going to pick up the pieces and kind of say, whoa, wait a minute. This is what you forgot. Yeah, that documentary was very, very one-sided and painted it very nice when there was a lot of uh, a lot of negatives going on. And a lot of stuff that was left out about that. And a lot of... It was a one-sided view of history. And... Uh, I, all right, I guess I will never work for a Pittsburgh deathmatch promoter, so I guess we can go ahead. Oh, yeah, it's it, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I think the first show was very history, like NWA. I know we got a lot of positive feedback from NWA fans. This show, it's going to be a lot of that local, a lot of Canada, Southern Ontario, Western New York buzz, and I think that one's going to be a lot of Twitter buzz, hopefully. So, um, but, uh, so for Jonathan Ash, I'm Chris Gello. Make sure you keep listening to all the great podcasts on the BSCBP radio network. This is Rediscovering the Indies, an independent wrestling history podcast.
get in here. We got to call this thing. Tighten up. Come here. All right, guys. Here's the situation. Two minutes left. Zero timeouts. Down by a touchdown. We got to drive 75 yards. All right. We could do this thing. I believe in each and every one of you. But real quick, did you guys know that the Two Point Conversation podcast runs five days a week, Monday through Friday, with various co-hosts and different themes every day? And then you can listen to them on BICBP-radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. So what's the play? Just, all right, just, come on, hurry up. Get to the line and just run, and I will get it to somebody, all right? Come on, on three. Ready! Set! Mother f***! Delay of game. Offense.